0: Hello, I'm Jeff Lister, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Welcome to episode 110, our last podcast of 2012. Today, Graham McMillan and I continue to answer questions from listeners posed over at the Savage Critic website. Topics discussed include Action Comics 15, Overselling Emotion in Comics, Spelling in American, Gail Simone in DC, at least one Elseworlds pitch, Alan Moore, Jeff Loeb, The Wait What Drinking Game, Waffle Cones, Matt Fraction, Teen Titans, and a brief but annotated list of our favorite books of the year. A very extensive set of show notes is available for your review over at savagecritic.com. Definitely feel free to use them as a helpful tour guide to aid you in traversing the winding streets of our two-hour and ten-minute bustling city of a podcast. As always, we hope you enjoy, thank you for listening, and wish you happy holidays. Hello, you're the new butler? Uh,
1: Graham, Wait, Go with me here Jeff Just say, well it's been a long time since I've been the new anything
0: Well it's been a long time Since I've been the new anything What happened to Hudson? You have no idea what I'm doing do No idea at all, what are you doing?
1: I'm doing the
0: um, Bing Crosby David Bowie thing Oh good lord Graham, well sure Of course, <laughs> that was my second guess I was like what? I've this had is. that on my
1: head all day I have no idea why Oh, but yeah, yeah, I've actually
0: found the transcript online. <laughs> Good lord! Well, no. if you want to send it to me, we'll act it. We'll act it out. I, I can. No, no, you've you've it. Oh, I see. Were You, you were trying to be Bing Crosby. You were trying to be. David no, Bobby. I was trying.
1: I was trying to be David Bowie. Oh, that's great! Because I <laughs> totally could have done.
0: Yeah. What, what's my What's my first line supposed to be? Well, it's been a long time since I've been the new anything. Uh, Jeff, I see. Of course, on. dude, who's paying attention? <laughs> well, it's been a long time since I've been the new anything. Pound cake. <laughs> Right?
2: I, oh,
1: yeah. I, The reason I've, well, like I said, I've been thinking about this, but the reason I really wanted to do this is there's a great line mm-hmm. where everybody goes, you're not the poor relation from America, right? <laughs> I've been crossed with responses. Gee, news sure travels fast, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it's the greatest thing. <laughs> oh, it's so great. I sing too. Oh, good. What kind of singing? Mostly the contemporary stuff. Do you? Do you like modern music? Oh, I think it's marvelous. Some of it's really fine. But tell me, have you ever listened to any of those older fellows? Oh yeah, sure. I like John Lennon, that uh, that other one, Harry Nielsen. It's oh my god, it's so good.
0: Keep going, Graham. I know you, there's more left. No, keep going. This is no, no, this don't is don't the holiday like... spirits in a nutshell for me. So for a long time, I won't. <laughs>
1: I I I was kind of hoping because Jeff. Let's face it you know a lot of things that you would not only snap into it, but then we could somehow do a duet.
0: <laughs> it would be spectacular. Can't be. <laughs> you know, I I think, and maybe this is just me, Graham, we should plan and stage a musical number for next year's holiday special. But oh. uh sing my... because I can't. My, no, but I don't see why we should let that stop us. Uh, it certainly doesn't let many people... Maybe we could auto-tune it. My point being, it seems to me to give you the, the musical number that you really want uh, and give me the amount of planning and preparation that I really need.
1: Oh, I have to say, planning and preparation. I saw your tweet yesterday that you would got your best of list done. Mm, mm-hmm. Hold on. I I completely haven't. So I'm just going to listen to yours and be like, yes, and it'll be fine.
0: Well, that being said, my list is kind of like all over the map. It was a very easy thing to compile, basically. And there's going to be stuff where people are like, why did you leave that off? But the great thing, Graham, is by keeping notes of all of our podcasts, I was at least able to scan over a good chunk of most of the stuff that we talked about and be like, oh, yeah, right that probably came out this year. And then I'd Google something and be like, yep. And then just put it down. So I think, I think that will be, um, somewhat easy and it'll be interesting hearing the stuff that you jump on, uh, and, and probably remember while I'm talking about things. So,
1: well, we'll see. Cause, uh, I have actually been actively avoiding doing my top 10 list for various websites because it'll, it takes up the brain space that I just don't have. Yeah. But can I tell you something hilarious that's literally just happened? I mean, it's yes. just what you called. Mm-hmm. You might remember I was on Canadian television. Yes. So I've just got another voicemail from Canadian radio. <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh, seriously. It's one of those things where you're like, I I totally am not familiar with that area code. <laughs> and it's because they're in God, where are they from? I'm gonna to have to look at the thing again. Uh they are from they don't say, they
0: just say Montreal. Wow. Graham, this is great, you international superstar I can see where you would have the kind of voice That Canadians trust (laughs) And again, it's because of a timepiece Really? Which one? The
1: the Dungeons Dragons thing from yesterday
0: Oh really? Oh, I still haven't read that yet How'd that turn out?
1: It turned out all right Lots of people were very complimentary Which was lovely And apparently the traffic's been great Uh Uh, I don't think I stuck the landing I had real problems with it With writing it And it's one of those things where the deadline just was like Well, I'm not moving (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly
0: One of us has got to go
1: Yeah, so I'm not incredibly happy with it But other people seem to be
0: Oh, good Well, I'm glad other people are That's always a good sign Sorry that it didn't necessarily work for you you know,
1: these things happen. It's it's one of the things with with writing on the internet.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There comes a the point where you are like, I guess I am done, <laughs> right? Exactly. Then fate reaches over and hits the publish button, whether you want it to or not. Yeah,
1: but so there you go. So yes, Canada again. I've got to. I and it's not a definite thing at all. Cause like I said, I've literally just got a voicemail with someone being like, "Hey," <laughs> you think. and it looks like it's over the weekend, which might mean it's not happening, but. Right.
0: We will see. We will see. My goodness. Well, I'll keep my, uh, keep my fingers uh, crossed for you. I have caught... In the audience, I'm partly taking over your news media.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah. It's one of those things, I said that with a a shrug, and it's like, Jeff can't see what I'm doing. I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah. Like, I'm saying that while also giving you the, what the fuck, <laughs> <laughs>
0: Huh. It's funny. Once you describe that face, I can totally see it. So, um, yeah. Well, let me think here. I, so I'm all, I'm all like, Graham. We've been talking for six minutes. We have to talk about comics now.
1: <laughs> Should we answer
0: the remaining questions? Because we've got a bunch of them. We do have a, we do have a ton. But of course, Graham. Has, since this is the our last little Wait, What podcast of of this year, let me wish you a happy holidays. Let me wish you a happy holidays, and
1: I hope you have a spectacular one. That is enjoyable and hopefully relaxing.
0: Yeah, I hope so. And you too, you too. You certainly deserve a, a little bit of time off with your time off, so I hope you get it.
1: <laughs> Only a
0: smidgen. Only a smidge. Yes.
1: I, I Actually, I have a, a secret plan that I will reveal to you when we are not recording to give
0: myself slightly more time off, but we'll see if that comes true or not. <laughs> Hmm. You know, Graham, faking your own death does not work well. I just want to say I've got a little—I don't—a little bit of experience with it. It's just not—it's just not worth it.
1: I've met this landlady of this apartment, and she sounds Polish or from the fifth dimension. And I'm guessing if I just do a Clark Kent and kill myself, huh. and then be a fireman for a while, and then go and see her and be like, "Oh shit," <laughs> like, okay, I've got three wishes, but I'm going to use
0: one of them on you. Right. 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 Yeah. You know, I have to say, I really dug that issue. I finally read it yesterday, um, that Action Comics 15. And one of the things that I really love about it is is that, amazingly enough, I felt like Morrison was able to pull in a new version of his old, like, comic books moving outside the dimension trope. Um, that great moment where – because it's right after a page turn where Superman is like looking around and he's like, what was that sound? It sounded like scenery being – shifting behind me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course, it's because he's being stalked by his fifth dimensional predator enemy dude. But I was like, holy shit. This was – it was right after a page turn on a comic. And I'm like, yeah, that kind of is what it sounds like. I – I think he's done it again, that S.O.B. So, I really like it. Actually,
1: you—it made me think of you almost immediately because it addressed your complaint from issue fourteen. It
0: really did. Yeah,
1: immediately, it was like, okay, so you should have felt a time jump.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. All, All the ways that you're supposed to feel disconnected to it. Yeah, I thought on the one hand, I'm like, oh, terrific, that's great. There's the other part of me that's like. I kind of wish there was some, like, maybe this had happened in issue 14, because what if I decided not to come back for issue 15? But, you know, but it, I mean, that's that's just a pisher point, you know? I mean, uh, yeah, I ended up really enjoying 15 a, a lot. I thought it did a... It actually made me think of, like, oh, he may he may be able to wrap this all up in a way that, that works. He might pull it off. He yeah. might pull it off, which is...
1: That's, so that was kind funny. of my thought as well. I was like, huh, he's still got, like, two issues left? 16 and 17, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think you can pull it off, especially because I think 16 is going to be the end of the story and then 17 will be the, you know, traditional Grant Morrison final issue epilogue heartbreaking
2: mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, I, I was I was really... I mean, I, and as you know, I, I liked issue 14 because it was essentially a
0: Doctor Who comic.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, but, yeah, I, I thought issue 15 was great. I really
0: liked it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well good. Hey, there we are. We're talking about comics, everybody. Woo.
1: Well, quickly, because I mentioned Doctor Who comic, did you pick up Doctor Who issue three, the um Brandon Seifert's Philip Bond issue?
0: No. Oh
1: man, I totally wish A, both of them could do the comic all the time, but B definitely Brandon. Mm-hmm. Because he gets the voice of the characters and the tone of
0: the show
2: mm.
1: to on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. really, really well. I, I thought it was lovely.
0: Yeah, I would. I would. I have to admit. Uh, like, I don't know. It was one of those things where it's like I've seen enough Doctor Who that it wouldn't be going in cold. But since I'm still pretty far from what you would call a fan, um, mm-hmm. it was kind of like. Uh, but yeah, I think Seifert actually seeing the stuff that he does on Witch Doctor could do an excellent uh, Doctor Who. Yeah, he did, He
1: does a really, really nice job, and it's such an obvious idea and an obvious title. Mm-hmm. That is, I can't believe no one's ever done it before hmm. which the plot is it's set back I guess maybe even as early as two seasons ago mm-hmm. uh, but Amy and Rory are still there
2: mm-hmm.
1: and Amy gets pissed off that Rory and the Doctor essentially fight over her
2: mm-hmm.
1: and declares that the two of them have to spend some male bonding time together
2: mm-hmm.
1: in the process they lose Amy essentially <laughs> and so they have to go around and try and find her
2: mm-hmm
1: is, you know, just a really simple but great idea. He mines it for all the comedy that you'd want mm-hmm. including the title, The Doctor and the Nurse. Good job, Brandon. I don't know why no one ever did That is that. actually really good. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: really. I mean, it's obviously always been there.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. I never made it text before, I guess. And I, I was like, that's great. <laughs> I never even realized that before. I, um, but he's got the Stephen Moffat thing of it's funny, it's funny, it's funny, oh, but now someone might die. Mm, mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, I, th- I thought it was a great job. It really did just make me think, why could he not do this comic all the time? Not that Diggle stuff was not good, because it was, but this is a lot better.
2: Mm,
0: mm. Well, um, interesting. I Hopefully I will get the opportunity to check that out. Um, It's funny, have you been downloading any of... Uh, um. You know, comicsologies, uh, twelve days of Christmas, free comics I, or anything.
1: Like, what happens is I see it in the morning and I'm like, oh, I'll download that later, and then I always forget.
0: Yeah, it's and it's weird because it doesn't roll over until like eleven o'clock. So I've I've been on a pretty decent roll, and admittedly, there's such a line of like, uh, like I, the first I think the first time I stumbled across it was back when Green Lantern number one. No, I take it back because first it was like. Avengers vs. X-Men number zero, and maybe followed by issue one, and I was like, no, thank you. And, but, you know, Green Lantern number one, I was like, eh. I'm like, well, why not? I think I've read it. I mean, you know, it's it's kind of like would I really walk away from a free storage-free comic? Like, not really, no. So, anyway, I just mentioned it because I think the Star Trek Doctor Who uh, crossover was one of the free issues the other day.
1: I how the strangest feeling it was. I would... Declare everyone should kind of stay away from that. <laughs> <laughs> wah, wah. Really? Not good? It's, here's the thing. As a Doctor Who fan and a Star Trek fan, mm-hmm. you think that I would love it, right? Right. There was something about it that felt too nerdy even for me.
0: I <laughs> <laughs> won't tonally, like visually, it's
1: Horrific Mm.
0: Yeah see That's where I think The hardest problem Would really be Yeah Yeah, he's painting it And it's like Photorealistic But also And it's
1: just wrong I guess Mm. Like you look And you're like This is kind of sludgy Mm. And that doesn't work For either Show in my head Right Right. Especially not Star Trek For some reason Star Trek Should always be Glossy to me
0: Mm, Interesting Interesting Because I'm such An original series Fan And that stuff was many stuff things, but I don't think it was necessarily glossy. You know? So
1: or sharp, maybe I don't know. Sludgy is
0: Yeah, but I know where sludgy is, it's absolutely wrong in both those in both those settings, I think you can almost get away with it, maybe, because I've seen some Doctor Who episodes that are pretty much mm-hmm. like, "Hey, we have no budget, so it's taking place largely in the dark." But
1: yeah, exactly, I, you know, and it's in a swamp as well. Like, I, I feel that you, for you know a specific story, you could yes. probably do that for Doctor Who, right? Like a Doctor Who Star Trek thing. It's just yeah, the art is is really off in terms of tone. It's not that it's necessarily bad art, but it just does not fit. Either universe.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Interesting. Well, I will. Uh, I will check that out then, and probably be like, "Cram's hmm, right."
1: <laughs> uh, well, today's free comics I just looks up is uh, Archer and Armstrong issue one.
0: Yes, and, and it's. So one- it's-
1: do these roll over? Like, are they still available in following days?
0: See, that's the thing. I think it's just one free comic per day. That's the thing that's really sad is part of me is like, yeah, I wish we were recording live because I'd be like, hey, listeners, believe me, Archer and Armstrong number 1 is totally worth your time and it, is free. It's $1.99 now, which it probably
2: is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah it's exactly. Totally worth your time. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah, so there's some some good stuff in there that's been like, I'm like, yeah, okay, I will definitely take this for free, you know, and and I don't recall what the other one was. There was some other book where I was like, oh, right, this is perfectly acceptable. Oh, I think they had Action Comics number one, which I'm like, yeah, that's that's actually a really fun book um, to get, especially for free, so... Ah, uh, free stuff. We we like it when we can get it. Free time of the year, Jeff. It it really it really is it really is. Uh, okay, so speaking of time, since yeah. we only have a, a relatively a yeah, short period
1: you're of you're in a, a hard stop again today, right?
0: Yeah, we yeah we do. Okay,
1: so let let's jump into these and let's barrel through them because we honestly have more questions than you can
0: imagine. Yeah, it's true. Plus, it's I'm really we'll be aggressive. Insane. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Do you, is it Matthew Ishii? Is he the first yes. one? Yes. Do you okay. want to read now? What's the deal? Uh, yeah, let me let me give that a shot. Um, it's, it's number five. Right, number five, right? Uh, uh, and he mentions the fact we talk about – we did actually talk about the art and widget thing. Re-Lenal Yu overselling emotion and scenes. I was at a talk by Colleen Doran, comic writer on a bunch of things – oh, writer and artist – who criticized the comics industry as a whole – trending toward this because of the impact of Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko. You guys are all about Kirby. Do you think that this is a fair comparison? I'd be interested to hear you guys talk about that as a guy who loved manga and hated superheroes his entire childhood. Can't think of any questions of my own right now, but I'll be back, I'm sure. Graham?
1: He then back the very next question. Which oh, is there we four go. Minutes. <laughs> 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 He's like, wait, I thought of something. Um... I I can definitely see where Duran's coming from, but it also seems completely unfair because I think that both Kirby and Ditko could were capable of a subtlety
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, in a way that the artists who learned from the people who tried to be Kirby and Ditko afterwards, if that makes sense, right. aren't. You know, like, I I think that Kirby could do a subtle could do subtle emotion more than Jim Lee could.
0: Right. I have a theory and this theory is going to run the risk of basically telling the listeners that they're doing it wrong but my theory and I could be completely wrong because I don't know Colleen Doran's uh, I haven't seen enough interviews with her but let's put it this way I could see how she's saying one thing and it's being interpreted as this but it's not sort of what she was saying what she may have been saying um, for me to pull out the old Mind Reader Act is, as you know, Graham, because of Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, they are really the progenitors with Stan Lee of the Marvel Comics method, right? Mm-hmm. So, in the Marvel Comics method, what happens is the writer the writer submits uh, a loose plot um, to the artist. The artist actually then draws out the comic and then the writer comes back in and, and puts the dialogue in after the fact I would swear that I have heard artists complain that the pro- one of the problems with this method is because you don't exactly know what the characters are saying in a specific scene like you might have an idea of what the point of the scene is supposed to be but you don't literally know the dialogue for it You artists have a tendency to overplay the emotion, you know, because they literally they've got an idea of how it's being conveyed, but they don't necessarily know how subtle it's going to be. They don't necessarily know if it's supposed to be super broad. So you tend to get a certain degree of overacting, I know, in like the 70s and 80s Marvel comics where. People were you know, the artists were, were having the their actors overemphasize things because they weren't exactly sure. And then later on you'd have the, you know, the writer try and finesse it. But mm-hmm. I so I'm kind of curious if Colleen Doran, who I think knows her art pretty well and admittedly does not strike me as much of a Jack Kirby influencer, Steve Ditko influenced person, if she was really saying, Yeah, Kirby and Ditko had their broader gestures and as a you know someone who doesn't like them I don't know that they can also do some surprisingly weirdly subtle stuff or if she was saying these guys are responsible for um you know overselling emotion because back in the old days they didn't actually have the scripts in hand.
1: Well part of it is also it just starts spitting off this and I again have no idea what Duran was actually saying. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if they're over the artists back then were overselling emotion in order to not be um, overwritten by the writer.
0: Well, yeah, and that's the other thing. That's actually a really good point too, and that's the kind of thing that that yeah, Burn would talk about being driven crazy as of like he would uh, he would have us plot out a scene where it was all going specifically one way, and then Claremont would write it in a way that that uh, was uh, anathemia to Burn. And yeah, I think there is that idea of like, after a while, you're like, okay, well, since I'm the one who's kind of steering the ship, I'm going to make sure you're not going to be, you know, putting a tender love declaration into what I see as a frosty argument, because now everyone's yelling and waving their hands.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so, I don't know, I just, I feel if she's she's saying what we are assuming she said, as Mm -hmm. in what what Matthew says she said, Mm -hmm. I think it's, I don't think it's entirely fair, but I can also see what she's getting at mm-hmm. uh, I think another way of looking at it and maybe the way I'm looking at it is that no one really that's not true mainstream comic artists in general
2: mm-hmm.
1: have been interested in emotion far less than action
2: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. and in subtlety far less than dynamism Yeah, and so that's just the way it has evolved
0: yeah yeah. And I'm sure, as Matthew knows, as, as a fan of manga, those stories get storyboarded by the writer and approved by the editor before they're sent to an artist. So an artist ends up with an entire, you know, every chapter is entirely broken down. And if you look at some of the pages in the back of Bakamon, where you see the writer's thumbnails and then you compare them to the artist's thumbnails, who the artist then provides another set of breakdowns that the editor then approves before you go to final. So that is so amazingly refined a process compared to what was going on the majority of the time in American comics, that it's perhaps not a surprise at all that you end up, not only that you have, a, um, a version of the medium that has such a, a um, interest in, um, emotional nuance but that you have it where it can be built into the system because you literally have ways in which it gets finessed from version to version so uh and and i we just don't quite get that here in the in, in american comics
1: do you think there's a way to get that without going that method do you think that there's a way for traditional script um to art you know, there, there's the, those, those two stages as opposed to the multiple stages of manga. Do you think you can get a, a level of subtlety, or do you think you, in order to get that, you need to have
0: artists who are just ridiculously engaged in that concept? Right, that's a good question. I would think that usually your two alternatives are you either have a writer artist, you know, who is who's doing both and therefore knows what they're trying to do in the scene and are perfectly capable of, of finessing it you know at the time um, and then you know all of a lot of the Marvel guys I've heard Bendis do this thing where he always makes it sound like he goes through his dialogued art and does a pass on it and trims stuff up I think that's what everyone likes to say but I, I would I would like to believe that there are situations where you get a, a, a writer dialoguing after the artist you know so like something like uh, Zosser of Zilk I think mm. you know Um, I think that you've got, you know, Al Ewing seems very good and comfortable with letting the artist have the rope and then managing to follow the lead there, you know, but I think, I think, unfortunately, the, not only do we have a, a simple problem with like writer and artist who gets to lead uh, in, in the mainstream comics industry. But frankly, it's really editorial so often that seems to be calling the the grander uber shots. Like, I'm sure you've seen some of those stories coming out of Believing Cool, where they're talking about, it really sounds like there is a terrifying freelancer exodus that is either going on or is about to go on or is going to get much, much bigger um, as a result of editorial just completely screwing up you know, messing with everyone's rhythm and and insisting on things and then throwing them away and people having to redo things like up to three times, which just sounds astonishing to me.
1: Yeah, I, I, that sort of brings me around to, hey, how do you feel about Gail Samoan?
0: Right. Yeah, I mean that was that was a hell of a week, wasn't it? I mean, was that, that this week? Was that
1: that's this week? Still, I,
0: the DC basically let her go. Yeah. It they kind didn't, of blows my mind. They didn't... They Yeah, they let her go in that they canned her. Like, they actually backed an editor on canning her from no, a but, No, but not book. just that. Like, they haven't given her another book, if that
1: makes sense. Do oh, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's not just the canning from Batgirl. Yeah. It's the... But she didn't have something else to go to, because it seems in the past, when they've canned someone, they've been like, okay, so they're off, you know, detective, oh. but now they're going to be on Justice League. Sure. or it, It's the... I don't know. The fact that it was Gail, though, really was like, what are you doing? Because she feels like their highest profile booster mm-hmm. for like almost a decade now. Well, sure.
0: But, I mean, you and I both know, I mean, I don't know to what extent it's open or not, but there are rumors that she was really hard to work with from an editorial perspective. I This this is actually new to me. No, it's not. All right,
1: Listeners, Jeff has just informed me that not only do I do I know what he is talking about, I am the one who initially told him. Yes. Uh so yeah, I completely forgot that. And you're you're entirely right. I'd really, really forgotten that.
0: Yeah. So uh sorry everyone that we had to be a, a little discreet there to respect some sources.
1: I but... also sorry everyone else that I completely forgot. <laughs> yes, sorry, so it. Like, what? <laughs> I was like, damn no. I really yeah, I I that totally slipped my mind. Um yeah, I don't know. I just feel that Gail was so high profile booster of DC mm-hmm. that to do it in that manner. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And also the idea that someone else is going to make Batgirl more of a success kind of blows to my mind as well. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, it just seems like I I remarkably are like almost an attempt to shoot yourself in the foot as mm-hmm. opposed to an attempt to do something else that results in you shooting yourself in the foot.
0: Well, I, I really think, and I could be wrong, is that DC has moved into the high hubris stage. And it could well be. It sort of makes sense. You have a huge success with New 52, and by all... by the majority of accounts, behind the scenes... It was a clusterfuck where creative talent was treated exceptionally poorly, you know. And guess what? It's a huge success. So now I feel like there's this this feeling for them of like, you know, I, they're, we the, can do
2: it all. We can do it all.
0: Exactly. We can do it all, and it has that, to be done. You that's
1: know, that's really funny because I'm convinced that 2013 is going to be a year of shit for DC.
0: Oh, I, I think so too. I think so. I'm
1: convinced it's going to be a year where. Everything comes home to roost, and yeah. they are going to be in a disastrous position by the end of the year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that that is very true. I think just the fact that, um, yeah, I mean, I honestly feel like a lot of what we're looking at, like, we're laying out, I think I told you, I follow Rob Leefield in Twitter, which is mind-blowing to me, you know? Um but he actually said something about uh about Marvel where he's like, Yeah, Marvel's got all the momentum back. Marvel now worked. And I'm like, I don't know if Marvel Now works so much as D C really failed, you know. Oh, I think
1: it's I think it's a mixture of both. I think Marvel Now worked enough. Mm-hmm. And DC and DC d- so fell enough, enough. Yeah. it mm-hmm. broke DC's momentum enough mm-hmm. so that then all of DC's bad decisions you couldn't be like, yeah, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you're just like, wow, they really are just fucking up Yeah yes. Do you know what I mean? Because like, I feel like the New 52 Or even before Watchmen, like all of those things You could be like, but look what they're doing mm-hmm. Like, And compare them with Marvel Marvel is just doing all this old shit And, you know, it's not even that Marvel has stopped doing old shit It's just that they're now calling it new shit And it seems to be working mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It really is like, yeah, it's easier it's easy. suck now <laughs> And, you know, there's no appreciable difference Right, right yeah. But yeah, I, I think this I think twenty thirteen is going to be a, a really bad year. If only because I was thinking when they when Gail was like, ah, I'm off. I was thinking you've got Scott Snyder, mm-hmm. Jeff Johns, arguably Jeff Lamont. Right. For name writers in DC. Right. Or oh, Brian Zarello, though, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's it. And that, that feels like the lowest number of name writers they've had. They're in the longest time.
0: Okay, but what, but but those stats are what what strikes me about those stats, and you might be right. Is half of those names were nobody. Like three years ago, like nobody, nobody. You know what I mean? So yeah. they're not. They're not. They're Gail Simone and Grant Morrison were huge DC boosters, but they were also they had to be. Fetted and stroked and you know,
1: yeah, that's partially why I was like, you know, maybe Jeff Lemire because I'm not sure Jeff Lemire is really there yet,
2: mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I think Scott Snyder wouldn't be there if Batman wasn't as big as it is.
0: Right, right. Well, and that's really where the the where I think the test is going to be. Now, a lot of them could say, yeah, actually. You know, between Snyder's success with American Vampire and Swamp Thing and Batman, I think they're willing to think that he's on the rise. Jeff Lemire seems to be, you know, he's co-participated in that, and he's sort of almost maybe at that level. But again, I think they have this thing of, you know what, in three, you know, we just pick up another two new people per year, and we do. that's two less crazy people that we need to deal with. And I think they're entirely wrong. I think it's a huge, huge mistake.
1: I I don't know. I mean, you've also got Scott Snyder leaving Swamp thing next month.
0: Yes, exactly. But only so that he can jump, in theory, to his bigger and better stuff. But, like, if his Superman project doesn't work out, I think it's going to be...
1: Jim Lee. Like, it, it might be the worst comic in the world and it'll still sell, like,
0: Motherfucker Because it's I, Jim I guess How much did Four Tomorrow sell By the end Because that was One of the worst Comics in the world And that was Jim Lee yeah, Was that still not Like the number one Comic though I'm, It might have been I don't I honestly I don't know I
1: don't. It actually did stay Like number one For the entire time
0: I, I I I don't think It was any hush But you might be right
1: But um I I just I don't know Because here's the thing With Jeff Lemire What's Jeff Lemire's Big book Do you know what I mean With Scott Snyder you would be like Well it's Batman
0: mm-hmm, It's mm-hmm. Jeff First big book. Yeah, exactly. Really? An underwater Is... welder, you
1: know. <laughs> exactly. Essex country, really. But, yeah, yeah. you know, it just, ah, uh, I don't know. It, it, it just feels such a... I feel like DC doesn't realize just how badly they're alienating themselves from creators, and as Brian thing said on, on Tilsing a mm-hmm. the other week.
0: And from the retailers. retailers. Yeah.
1: And, and that's you don't want to... Well, you don't want to do either, but you really don't want to do both at the same time.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know, I know. I totally agree. Except there's that weird... A, there's a certain point I feel... You know, because I feel like it's like... I, I Perhaps, not surprisingly, since Bob Harris is in charge, it it feels like a page from the Marvel comics in the 90s all over again. It definitely does, doesn't it? I've been thinking that for a while.
1: Yeah, it really does. I, I feel that DC is going to just have a terrible terrible year mm-hmm. but here's saying it... also I was thinking about this earlier on would you work for DC? like hmm. if if DC came to you and were like Jeff you know I don't know we've seen your zombie tale stuff we, you know we're, we've heard great things about you right. would you like to do something for I don't know DC Universe Presents or fill in for
0: Earth 2 or something like that <laughs> Right. Yeah, no, I, I don't, I, you know, this is going to sound weird, but even despite the fact that DC has like an utterly deeper war chest of interesting stuff. And despite the fact that there are times where I still would love to write a Batman story, like so much like my nose might bleed from it, which is weird. Cause I would have definitely, if you had gone, traveled back in time and asked that. You know, twelve-year-old Jeff to put a bet, he would have said, "Oh yeah, I will be wanting to write Spider-Man like until the day you bury me in the ground." And the whole thing about Marvel once I once I was like, "Forget it, Marvel, I'm I'm through with you," which is ironic because of course I'm reading their books for free. And as a certain someone had said, they were very disappointed that I was back on Marvel's dick. Um, I. <laughs> Nonetheless, the process of getting off that dick made me feel like I wouldn't. I don't think I would really want to do. I've done very, very limited amounts of work for hire, ladies and gentlemen. And let me tell you, I don't like it much. I. It's great if you can like make a lot of money doing it, but like I have a I have a job that currently pays me okay and covers enough health insurance that honestly, I'm not sure I would be jumping from it anytime soon. And at that point, as long as you're not trying to make a living at it. Why not just, if you can somehow scrape together the money and the collaborators, why not do your own thing? You know what I mean? So I just, I really don't see where part of me is like, yeah, yeah, the Sea Devils. I can totally take the Sea Devils, you know? <laughs> exactly. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and it's true. Sea yeah, Devils versus Deep Six. Come on, Jeff. Oh, my God. See, there we go. That is kind of brilliant. Like, I say that, and then I'm like, or oh, Angel and the Ape. The thing that's great is once once the idea that Vertigo is this shack that is just shuttered and is looks like chances are good it's going to be marked for demolition so they can put in some new condos that used to be the way that i think they got a lot of people in the door was is like oh yeah okay i do this creative work for them and then huh you know maybe all of a sudden you've got to like make those bills and then suddenly you're like aquaman why not like i could probably do something with aquaman Yes, I say that. That shows you how instigated I am, because of course, I'm sure most people are like, Are you kidding? Aquaman, it's a top 20 book. Let me at that book. I'll write the shit out of Aquaman. You know? I can't imagine anyone saying that, even Jeff Johns, but maybe they are. Oh,
1: let's face it, that's probably how Jeff Johns got it. I probably. love Aquaman. <laughs> who's, who's that guy you say you hate? I love them. Well, that's uh, what Jeff Johns does these days. I think so it's I'm kind like... of great. I think it would be totally. <laughs> like, okay. Which DC characters do you absolutely think are, are useless? And they will be like, well, I really don't like Scooter. And right. three months from then, he'll be like, okay, Scooter's now the devil's son.
2: Yeah, uh, exactly.
1: And when you go on a date with him, you lose your soul. Uh, <laughs> and then you your arm off. And it's good. And I'm, I'm going to get David
0: Finch to do covers. Turkey uh, you know, <laughs> can do the art. It will right. be great. Right. I mean, there's part of me that loves that that idea, that moxie, that when Jack Kirby was like, yeah, give me Jimmy Olsen. Give me the lowest selling character, which, you know, uh, Mark Evigne pointed out was really more of a like, I don't want to put anyone out of work kind of thing. Yeah. But I, I do love the sort of like, yeah, I'm going to point at the stadium wall and that's where the ball's going to go over, you know, kind
1: of thing. I, I, it's funny you say that. I've been reading the four, fourth world books uh, just this, last week. I, I'm not quite sure why. It was one of those. I'm in the mood to read. Uh, it was the Gordon Godfrey, Glorious Godfrey one where. Mm, oh, with House Roy and everything. No, 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 no. The, not the Funky Flashman one. The, the one where he, they introduced the Justifiers, the Forever People issue where they introduced the Justifiers.
0: Oh, yes, yes, yes. Oh, sorry,
1: sorry, read sorry. Anti-Life or something like that.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Um, I don't know why I got... I was like, I really want to read this. It was after reading all these political books. <laughs> I'm like, want to read that again. And then I read that and I was like, that's right. All this stuff is fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. All this stuff is literally visionary. I should reread all of this. Yeah, but yeah, that's what I've been doing. But it, it's, but yeah, even even when he took over Jimmy Olsen, mm-hmm. he really was just like, okay, so I've got this kid. Mm-hmm. He's pretty much going to become a fucking supporting character in his own book because look, everyone, it's the news by Legion, and
0: here's some fucking scary monsters. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where, again, part of me is like, Kirby is really able to break the rules that. He broke every rule that I don't think I would really appreciate, you know what I mean? Like, if someone was, like, if Joe Casey was starting up a Jimmy Olsen book, and, like, by issue two, like, Jimmy Olsen was just standing around while the rest of this stuff, I'd be like, oh, come on, Joe Casey, stop being a fucking bullshit, bullshitter, you know? But, of course, Kirby does it, I'm just like, ah, oh, so good. It's so good, <laughs> you know, because uh, and part of it is is because it just continues to accelerate and move faster and faster and faster. And God bless him, um, Kirby is <laughs> Kirby is almost the opposite of like people who who can't write team books. Don't you feel like almost all of Kirby's books become team books?
1: Yeah, you yeah. know, because he he
0: loves he loves having people in the background. He loves having people to play off of. Yeah, he loves having people to play off of. He loves throwing in, like, so Every everyone's got it. Like, you know, even in New Gods, it's like Orion. He gets, like, five supporting characters in his Orion gang, and that's before you bring in the, everyone else, you know? And that's. And part of that, it God help me, is I think that Kirby was smart enough to know that he couldn't. Like, he. I, he honestly, God bless him. I. Jimmy Olsen really didn't need more than five or six panels per issue. You know what I mean? Like that's just not really necessarily how Kirby was five or, built. Five or six panels per issue? Yeah, I mean five or six panels. Maybe you got eight. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like where the, the where the focus is on Jimmy Olsen. Like most oh, of the time, Jimmy Olsen. I thought
1: you meant like only there are only five or six panels in the entire comic. No, 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 not no, 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 no. Paying attention to Jimmy Olsen. Yeah, I was yeah. like, you mean page, Jeff? Right? <laughs>
0: No, 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 no. no. There's lots of panels in a Jamil. Yeah, yeah, there's tons of them. But I mean, in the sense of like, when you get that panel and he's thinking and and you're progressing some internal story, like Kirby really just doesn't do that for more than two or three panels at a time. And so I think...
1: Kirby's all about the action.
0: Yeah, he's really all about tying it into the action. He'll need those two or three panels, but he doesn't need more than
1: that. Here's why Kirby can do it and Joe Casey can't.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Irony. Mm-hmm
1: kirby has none of it Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: and that's what you need to make that shit work
2: Mm -hmm. yeah
1: and i think that even if i think the closest you come to someone doing that nowadays Mm
2: -hmm.
1: it's probably morrison and -hmm. even there there's irony i don't think you can i don't think you can do that sort of stuff now Mm. without the reader even reading irony into it even if it's not present in the creation mm-hmm and I think, I think that sort of thing is just ruined now because of that. Really? Do you I, think that you – know? I think because we've had the wave of people doing it ironically, mm-hmm. it's possible to see those things as being unironic now. Because even, even if they are un- unironic, there's a level of are they just doing this to react to the ironic?
0: See, my personal feeling on that is, is that you're right. Everyone's gone through that. But I think the difference is whether or not you decide to linger on the irony. So, like, honestly, for me, I think um, – because, you know, Tom Scioli started up a a new webcomic uh, yes, over which, there. Is, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, which is astonishing to me because I just – you know, and I think Final Frontier, which is a huge long – you know, it's 80 or 90 pages. Although not perfect, there was so much fantastic stuff in that, and that literally came from the I'm, – I'm not going to linger long enough to see if you get it. You know, I think that is the thing with irony. There's just a little bit of the you slow down the take, you throw the timing off so that the person knows that you're in on the joke.
1: Yeah, because you, you want to kind of, or you you may not want to, but you do end up winking at the audience, right? You know, I get this is dumb, right?
0: Exactly. You know, even when they're saying, No, 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 no this is great, but I want you to know that I know, you know, and honestly, there's a few guys, uh, all red strikes me as another one who is. Even when he is kind of doing the, oh, yeah, I'm in on the joke, he's keeping things moving fast enough and and crazy enough that it really doesn't, it doesn't matter, you know? And and frankly, there are times where, like, Jeff Johns, God bless him, you know, way back in Darkest Night was doing shit that was just so absurdly over-the-top fucking crazy, and yet he kept moving through it fast enough that he really didn't care whether you thought he was in on the joke or not he's like yeah,
1: yeah and, and then and then he started to slow down yes which he... I think was kind of the death of his green lantern
2: hmm mm-hmm because mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: it's one thing to be like there's all these different colors of lanterns it's awesome but then when you're like and now he's spending a year talking about them yeah it's like no don't
0: yeah
1: <laughs> just yeah. tell us they exist and then we'll move on
0: yeah exactly exactly yeah no and that's that is a big problem with John's this is at every stage w- w- particularly with the Green Lantern and stuff he will bust a move be impressive as hell uh, whether ridiculously so or not and then it's like oh yeah yeah, yeah but let me unpack this you yeah, know let and me tell
1: like, you about let me tell you
0: how it's trick yeah let, so like right after the Sinestro War the fact that he did you know year one for Green Lantern it was just like oh really like and By the end of it, it was like, okay, okay, just fine, let's get back to the stuff that was interesting, Jesus, you know, and then somehow he managed to pull it back off again. So, um... We've totally gotten off topic already. Good
1: job, Oz. I was about to say, we are deeply, deeply screwed. Let's do for Matthew Ishii's question two. Yes. What comics are famous and considered classics when the writing was mediocre but the art elevated it?
0: Just about all comics. Uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, you know, there are books where I don't know. There's so many books where the the writing's mediocre, but the art elevates. Okay, here's the thing: I happen to think that if you did not have Greg Capullo on Scott Snyder's Batman, it would not be half as successful.
1: Oh, and, I, th- I think you're totally right.
0: Yeah, and yet it's very common now for everyone to sort of talk about it like it's Scott Snyder's Batman. You know what I mean? Like we'll do it, DC does it, everyone does it in the back of their minds, they're like, yeah, I know that it's Greg Capullo, but it's this weird, like, kind of what we were talking about last week, you know? It's like, the writer's the guy who's out there giving interviews every time, and Scott Snyder, I don't think is trying to pull a fast one, he talks about Greg Capullo a lot, as far as yeah, I can tell, but but,
1: but he's the constant, and so yeah. therefore, it's his book, yeah. Yeah, and so, so like- it
0: slowly becomes this weird thing, but yeah, I mean, there's... Okay. A classic, though. Mm-hmm. A like, classic
1: what I'm tempted to, I'm really tempted to say um, Lee and Kirby's Thor Oh
0: interesting. interesting
1: I think the writing in Thor or At least the scripting in Thor Uh uh-huh. Is ropey to abominable <laughs> mm. Mm. Um, But it's Kirby that, that raises it so much That people are like This is great And in a way that Like I think Lee and Kirby's fantastic for I think Lee's an integral part Of the success of that Yeah And I don't think the same is true of his Thor
0: mm. Interesting
1: um, what other classics? You I was know, I really tend to say Watchmen. Just <laughs> <be right>? <laughs>
2: what? Watchmen
0: uh, and Mouse.
2: And and Mouse.
0: I don't know. You know, there's, there's. Uh, uh, well, you know, here's an interesting thing: is I find it fascinating that Camelot three thousand is not considered a classic. You know what I mean? That's because the writing of that is is. It's so bad. Well, it's pretty terrible. But, I mean, it is. It's very it's mediocre. Very but it's, it is. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that. But, I mean, the art on it is exquisite. And if you were just going by that, I don't know. You know, this is just that thing. Like, everyone's going to have their own definition of this. And the thing that's hilarious is, you know, something that they're going to rail about. And people are going to be like, yeah, you, you know... You're attacking it because it's a classic in your mind, but you don't necessarily think everyone considers it a classic. Like, I guess we would really have to – like, I'm not even really sure even you and I could agree on the top ten classic comic books before we begin arguing, but
1: – Oh, no, no, not at all. So – I, was, I think of, like, you know, the big ones, the ones that everyone always names. Yeah. You know, like Night Returns and Watchmen and – Yeah. Kirby and all that sort of thing
0: well yeah I mean I don't know Yeah, it's tough like it's it's weird like I know a lot of people like Lee Romita's Spider-Man and frankly to me that is a book where I feel like the writing's mediocre I'm not crazy about the art arguably it elevated it arguably I guess I don't know I mean that's tough for me because it really is like there's so much stuff that's really pretty in Rom- Lee Romita's Spider-Man on the other hand I feel that that stuff is i've never been a fan of and i've always thought was weak because of both of them you know what i mean like Mm. i think i think Romita's is an amazing designer and a fantastic illustrator but i'm not sure his storytelling chops are anything better than serviceable you know
1: yeah i think he gets away with it because his his line work is just so beautiful it's so gorgeous yeah it's literally
0: yeah i really do
1: think it's one mm -hmm. of those things where he's he's His finishes are so great that you will overlook almost anything that's actually wrong with the the skeleton of his art.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think so, and I think that I think that tends to happen a lot. Um, Okay,
1: here's the flip side of Matthew's question. Mm -hmm. Name some comics where the art was pulled from good to great by the coloring or the inking. Gosh, Uh, uh,
0: that's
1: really nice because I feel like I was thinking about this the other day in terms of coloring, and I can't think what it was. Oh gosh, Uh, the first thing the first thing comes to mind for me. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: In all seriousness. Mm -hmm is um, when Jamie McKelvey's art started being colored, when he went from doing black and whites in the first Sophonogram to Mm -hmm. doing color in Suburban Glamour, Mm -hmm. that significantly changed the way I saw his work. Interesting. Really dramatically changed the way I saw his work. Right. Um, I think when Mike Royer started inking Kirby, Mm -hmm. as opposed to Vince Coletta, I think that was a a really dramatic shift. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, especially because... And also, Joe Sinnott, for that matter. Joe Sinnott really transformed... Well, his
0: Sinnott is, I think, the number one, like, special secret ingredient that appeared to jumpstart Kirby and and the Fantastic Four. Like, what we think of as the Marvel Age of Comics. Because, you know, Kirby did 30-some-odd issues, even with one issue inked by him. Was, uh, 40, wasn't it? Didn't Sinnott come in at, like, 40 or 41 or something?
1: Really, I always think it's 48, but that might just be because of the
0: start of the Galactus story. Right, exactly. But it's very—it's really close. Well, because I think Galactus always runs a little earlier than I thought, think, too, so I could be wrong. But, yeah, it's huge chunks of time. But once you put Synod in there, like Synod, by all, I think for a lot of us, would be the all-time. Like, yeah, that's, that appeared to be such an absolute game-changer in a way that that, that changed that book and then essentially the rest of the, the Marvel era as a regard, as a result of that. Um, I would also say Klaus Jansen um, working on, on Frank Miller's work, both Daredevil and especially Dark Knight Returns, I think Mm -hmm. is, uh, fantastic. I would say that, uh, Lynn Varley's coloring, uh, for Frank Miller, through the majority of his work, um, honestly made a huge, like a huge difference
1: uh and, and something that it doesn't go from good to great but goes from great to exceptional is varley's coloring or is it varley or is it richmond lewis on batman year one and david Mazzucchelli?
0: oh that's a good question is it i, I, I is think it's richmond lewis but i could be I, wrong yeah i think you should check that out i don't think it was varley i could be i could be mistaken on that
1: but uh because the, there's because you know there's the two different colorings of Oh, yes,
0: what, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. And they're so
1: dramatically different. Yeah, yeah. Both work, but the 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 second coloring, the collection coloring, mm-hmm. was just fucking astounding, yeah. mind blowing. When I saw, it. I remember yeah. Richmond Lewis is the colorist. Okay. Um, yeah, that that was amazing. Seeing that recolor.
0: Yeah, that absolutely was. That was an amazing recoloring job. Um... Uh, You know, there was another person, I was actually going to say, I would be really curious, like, the coloring is one that I think has become more and more important over the years, of course, and it's harder to actually nail down, like, um, I think, I think if you pick out uh, Matt Hollingsworth, right, does, does colors, does exceptional stuff um, with Michael Lark, I think tim sale disney isn't he like tim sales like colorist of no,
1: choice sure i think oh, okay
0: okay and stewart's like
1: you, know. who also does hellboy right exactly
0: who's yeah stewart's amazing laura martin's amazing i honestly i'm half convinced especially after seeing a lot of recent work by john cassaday that a good chunk oh, of cassaday's yeah really laura appeal. martin saves john cassaday's ass yeah and like and it go in a way that goes back longer than we could actually um than we would suspect, I think.
1: Uh, I also think, and again, this isn't good going to great, or maybe it is, I think uh, Brian Botticello's Colors on Flash
0: mm. really add a lot to it. Yeah, I agree, actually. Um, that The Colors on that book are so sensible for, for Man Paul's art. It does a, a wonderful job of making that work so... I don't know, like, like pop, but in a very sophisticated, a sophisticated level of pop, you know, like, like there's a real, there's a real plastic feel to flash that, but not in a way that, but in a way that somehow actually feels warm and fun, not the usual associations with plasticity, I think.
1: I, I I think I think he does an amazing job on it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's I think that's so. Um, okay. Well, uh, before we linger, I think we should jump on to the next question from David Oakes. It's not a question. <laughs> it's not. Waiters are fans forego long explanation. Or, it, Jeff? I do I do and let's face it I think he was the one who many years ago suggested who are the men from Waffle and I, I'm kind of sad that that's not a <laughs> continuing thing for us although clearly the problem is David's the only one who can come up with enough Waffle acronyms to actually keep it going but
1: I love that he can I love people who can do acronyms I really do because I, I have absolutely no skill in that whatsoever
0: yeah yeah it is
1: it I is struggle and some people are just like hey here's seven acronyms <laughs>
0: Right, seven, exactly I can cough up maybe one decent one and then Yeah, that's the
1: time it. it's taken you to re- make that sentence Here's mm-hmm. 32 acronyms <laughs> Exactly. Dan Billings asks, why is it so hard to drop books? I'm heading into the shop today and realize I'm reading 16 books. Money-wise, that's crazy. And quality-wise, there are not 16 good books coming out this week. <laughs> or is this something I should address with my therapist instead? Yes.
0: See, I knew you would go for the easy. <laughs> yes.
1: Oh, come on. If you give me the obvious out like that, I'm
0: always going to take it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's true. Why, why is it so hard to drop books? Oh, you know, I think it, I think it's the trifecta of, well, first off, we're in this kind of industry where I definitely subscribe to the Go Team Comics kind of angle on it, you know, where it's like, I walked in yesterday, I was like, okay, I've got some money, you know, it's the holidays, I should buy some books, like, and there's a couple of things that it's like I really wanted to get, um, and I actually ended up with, like, kind of, a, like, a sizable chunk of stuff, but... At the core of it were also some things where it's like oh, I'm not sure I'm gonna read this I don't know if I really like th- that you know there's a weird like I think I think at the core of it part of the thing that's a problem is is that once a book once you sour on a book it can take a very long time for you to drop it because you keep thinking well maybe it's me or but i love the character or i have all the other issues or it's like you know what i'm just I what i'll do is instead of reading the single issues i'll save them all up and read six or seven at a go because that's more satisfying you know i mean i am
1: i feel feel like i've gone through all of those yeah yeah. i feel like i definitely go through the maybe it's me or the i used to really like this
0: maybe it'll get good again Right. Exactly. Exactly. And honestly, I think we've all had those phases. You know, I think we've all, I'm well, I could be wrong, but I think a lot of us have a phase where it's like, this is not great. I should seriously think about dropping this. And then three issues later or six issues later, suddenly it can be amazing. You know, that doesn't happen all the time. In fact, that probably happens the minority of the time, the vast minority of the time. But you just need to have to have that once. When you're at just the right age, that you're always like, Ugh. like, I'll never forget, like, I quit reading Claremont and Burns' Uncanny X-Men right before, like, like, it, The I think it was the, f- I didn't even pick up the second part of the murder world story, I think you know
1: wow yeah like issues yeah that's time to jump off there jeff
0: yeah i know i know and then afterwards i was like what the fuck did i do and of course i actually thank god was able to find a comic book store where i had to buy all the back issues and remember having to buy the fucking death of phoenix and paying four dollars for it you know and just and of course the clerk was like you idiot you know like really just like little did any of you know that Many years in the
1: future, that'd be how much you pay for a brand new comic. <laughs> <laughs> I know,
0: right? Really does make you wanna cry when you put it that way. Graham, thanks.
1: <laughs> uh let's see uh, here. Yeah, I, I think I think it is really hard to do. I mm-hmm. I think
0: all of your reasons are right. Yeah. So let's let's hang it at that. That actually seems to be somewhat subtle in an actual answer, so Who knows when that's going to happen again? Next question. Ian Brill asks, This has nothing to do with comics, but I want to ask Graham something I'm surprised it took me this long to figure out to ask. When your writing career started, was it difficult to switch to the American spelling of words? Do you sometimes find your original education coloring and readers, if you saw what he was doing there, is very clever. Your
2: spelling well, choices... I don't know if
1: he did it intentionally because he also did your with apostrophe R-E as opposed yeah, but... to while you are. So <laughs> I'm so sad you to brought me, that
0: Autocorrect might have been in play is all I'm saying. Maybe. Maybe. Your spelling choices leading you to have to apologize and then with an S to your editors. I'm assuming this is a real question as opposed to Ian being both... Showing uh, off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Showing off and, and hamstrung.
2: Uh,
1: uh, so. Spelling was not a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, other parts of things are a problem yeah. I continually refer to companies in the plural because in my mind it's a collection of people yeah I'm sort of the whereas, same way whereas in America mm-hmm. companies are singular yeah it's tough and things like that are, are like sentence construction mm-hmm. is much more of an issue for me still than spelling because spelling I think is much more conscious
0: mm. interesting
1: uh, especially because my writing career which you laughing like calls it started after I'd been in America for a while right and so because I'd already been had to had to be writing in quote unquote american mhm and so I'd kind of gone through that by the time that my writing career took off mm-hmm. um I was used to the american spellings. but it's it's the sentence construction still
0: trips me up interesting Interesting. That's very good to know. Yeah, the company plural singular thing is very hard. I mean, Americans tend to use most of this stuff unconsciously and inconsistently. And so like, it was a real eye opener for me when I got the Chicago Manual of Style, finally, like, I don't know four years ago, back when I was helping edit the community newspaper and would consult things and be like, Oh, okay. Right. And the thing that was amazing is half the time I'd read this stuff and be like, yes. And the other half I'd be like, sounds wrong, but ultimately, you know, but I guess, yes, but I guess, yes. Well, see, this is it. Ultimately the thing that drives me nuts is more than anything else. People want consistency. So, uh, when you work for a larger, when you have more than one person writing, which is, usually the bulk of everything nowadays it's got to be consistent so there's got to be pre agreed upon things but like as as i know i mean it's appalling for me to go through a longer first draft of something that i've written and on one day i've decided that yeah company that the same company should be a singular and then the next day i'm like no 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 you know so marvel is doing something on day 1 but they are doing something else on day 2 and it's just like ugh yeah, that's yeah, kind of tough. It,
1: it, I, I always feel sorry for uh, Stephanie, my editor time, because there will be always be at least one sentence that she'll basically either have to put a note in for me being like, you have to rewrite this. Mm-hmm. Or she will have to have like, taken apart herself and reconstructed, because I will have just I'll have written it in such a way that made sense to me at the time.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then
1: reading back, I'm like, what
0: the fuck was I doing? <laughs> But that's just you, Graham. That's just you the writing greatest, 14 hours greatest, a day. The greatest note I ever ever got from her
2: mm-hmm.
1: was at the end of the sentence. The, the note was just the sentence is epic. <laughs> that was it. That was the entirety of the note.
0: <laughs> and you were like, ooh, okay then I'll change this up.
1: Yeah, exactly. I was like, I know that's not a compliment. <laughs> I know the epic is is not a compliment. Huh?
0: Huh? <laughs> ah, well, that's a shame. Well, so this is us finishing up hour one of our epic podcast. Uh, so, Steph, what's that? You
1: made it four questions.
0: I know. This We're in such huge fucking trouble. So, um,. It, We're just going to go through as fast as possible. Well, we're going to jump and come back is what we're going to do. I need a station break, uh, not only to grab some water because my throat's getting parched, but also I don't want to, um, I don't, I don't want to, yeah. Yeah.
1: Terrible things happen. Prod the gods of sky. Jeff and I are going to be taking a slight break. We leave you to gather your Christmas thoughts or if you're not into the Christian winter festival, your seasonal thoughts
0: and then we'll be back. in a second (laughs) that's lovely Graham they really Canadian Broadcasting knows what they've got in you (laughs) I thought we listen to wait what and we just want you to say and we're back (laughs) see they should if they're smart I would totally if I was starting up like an airline and I needed like the recorded voice to like say stuff you would be perfect Graham you really would because you totally have that like I'm like Hal but I'm not going to flip out kind of tone to your voice that's just like oh this robot likes us, you know? (laughs) Thank you, Jeff. (laughs) All right, so everyone, we will be back
1: in just a minute. We'll talk soon. music to my ears next question Jeff Lester yes it's, it's a big one remember I was like hey let's get through these really quickly Uh huh. we won't but <laughs> we might just want to kick this one ahead and also we've kind of talked about it before so maybe we just want to skip it all together right Moose and Squirrel asks what's the deal with Alan Moore and Rape oh boy no, seriously, I mean it Dude puts a lot of rape in his comics To the extent that it's probably easier To pick out the few Alan Moore projects That don't have rape in them Which would be um, Top ten Wait, no There's a bunch of child rape Towards the end of that one mostly Played mostly for laughs And then to list all the ones that do Rape and sexual violence Are repeated so frequently And so thoroughly in Moore's work That it seems like Either one of two things are true Either Alan Moore is trying to make Some sort of point Although God only knows What that point is Or Alan Moore is kind of a huge creep
0: Right um. Yes, let's move into the second part of this before we tackle it, because I feel at least the second part sort of okay. puts things in a slightly different context for us, I guess. Somewhat related to
1: this, the second question. If all the horrible sexist shit in comics and comics culture were swapped out with horrible racist shits, do you think comics readers would take the same ho-hum attitude towards it all? Like, if Alan Moore put scenes of, I don't know, black people being lynched in all of his comics, would people just shrug and say, Oh, well, that's Alan Moore. When you read an Alan Moore comic, you're bound to get some gratuitous lynching, the way they seem to do with this gratuitous rape. Or... Would they see some line being crossed? Is it the case that comics culture is grossly sexist and racist to boot? Or is there a reason why it's sexist but not as racist?
0: Yeah, um, so here's the thing. I do know that, as you know, Graham, as you pointed out, you and I did talk about this in, in an earlier episode, and I think there's a lot a lot of stuff to, to ground uh, Alan Moore's treatment <coughs> of both those issues in um, a, a way that is either... Um, somewhat more acceptable or or equally head-scratchery, depending on, on who. Uh, I guess what your take is on it. But let's just say, I do think that, to me, and I could be wrong, I feel the comics culture is pretty sexist and racist to boot. And so, therefore, it's a... I guess I always have a little problem with the whole, like, we're calling Alan Moore out on this more than everyone else because... Why? You know... I- get that because I think Almer does
1: genuinely feature more rapes in his comic and I think that is one of the more um, unsubtle mm-hmm. sexist forms I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel like it's easier to ignore uh, look it's the quote unquote risky covers that Dynamite puts in its uh, Warlord of Mars books where Deja Thoris gets her tits out than it is to ignore a main character being raped. Um, I think after reading the Bleeding Cool interview with Moore, mm-hmm. I think he really does think he's trying to say something with it. I think he does too. I'm not yeah. sure what it is. Right. Uh, but I think he really does. Mm-hmm. I I I was kind of taken aback by that interview. Mm-hmm. Um in part because he was his defense of Necronomicon was essentially I was making I was trying to make a really important point, and I made it. was mm-hmm. uh, taken aback both by the I would, I I feel that his point was at best facile. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And also his incredible confidence that he made it. Right. You know, I I thought both those were like really interesting things. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Because it feels for me that he is very disconnected from the mainstream culture. I feel that you can only really believe that he was making a really interesting and important point if he was unaware of like what the world is like, I guess. Mm -hmm. I, I, I thought that was. I, I thought reading that interview it was both really positive from my view of Moore because it did sort of bump me past the he's putting an in for shock value or whatever to mm-hmm. the he thinks he's making a point but also really negative towards it, my view of Moore because it it was the first time I've really read something from him where I, I thought yeah he really does stay away from technology and the world like he really has become a hermit
0: Hmm. interesting because I, I don't I don't know. I don't necessarily... I don't think I necessarily agree with much of that, per se, Graham. I mean, because I get the sense that I feel like I feel like uh, Alan Moore is engaged with technology. Maybe not quite at the, you know, he's, like, posting things. But I, this is what I was going to say. Posting stuff on Reddit. I'm like, God, you know, like, let's talk about Reddit as, like, a, a huge swamp of... I mean, sexism that really isn't very different. I mean, you know, there's there's such a huge two step going on, I feel, in our culture, which is one part of our culture is moving forward. And as a result of that, another segment of the culture is kind of freaking out and becoming more conservative. I think ultimately it's going to turn for the better and be more progressive for everyone. But and I and you might disagree with me, Graham. I personally think that although I say this in the larger sense of culture, I do think that at least for some people, that struggle takes place in the individual as well. So I'm aware of the ways in which I'm I'm very quick to talk about the ways in which I'm progressive and feminist and believe in all forms of racial equality and gender equality, and yet it's a lot harder for me to own up to the ways in which I am sexist and racist and or support sexist and racist aspects of the culture. So to me, and I could be entirely wrong about this, I think that Alan Moore is pretty goddamn progressive, but like a lot of those damn hippies, uh Particularly the white male hippies, his version of progressivism is so heavily wrapped in a wrapper of patronization and entitlement that he's barely aware of that it that it gets to be it gets to be this weird thing. It gets to be this area of like no, don't you see? Because more it goes to great lengths, I think, to absolutely positively write about women. In a forward, progressive fashion. On the other hand, he can't help but define them by their gender and their sexuality. Well, well yeah,
1: I, I think it's because, and I think you got really close to saying it, but didn't quite say it. Mm-hmm. Like, Moore is really progressive for someone who starts out from a really non-progressive place.
0: Yes. So I
1: think Moore is like, see, women are as good as men. Mm-hmm. See, these Negroes don't need to know their place. Right. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, wow, you're like trying to say a good thing and saying it in such a bad way (laughs) right because your baseline because let's not ignore this Alan Moore came from you know a a really repressive Mm -hmm. fucked up culture Mm mm-hmm especially because of his age I'm not just saying that in terms of like well Britain's worse than America I mean like when he was a child
0: yeah when he was a child in a relatively mm-hmm
1: was was such Mm -hmm. that his views now are very progressive for that Mm mm-hmm but in today's world, I guess that's what I was saying In today's world It doesn't seem progressive Or it, it doesn't seem Progressive In the same way that the rest of the world Has progressed well, sh- so, you, yes. so you have This weird thing where it's like I don't know, I feel Any discussion about, not just Alamo I think a lot of artists fall into this Especially mm-hmm. a certain generation Right. That you can't Like, it gets such a loaded thing. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, you know, they are being progressive, but they start from such a terrible, terrible place that their progressiveness takes them up to the baseline of, you know, two generations after them.
0: But, yeah, but I think that that's – but that doesn't mean that you strip them of the progressive title. It just means you have to put them in a certain context. uh, But that's
1: what I'm saying. You, so, But they're still judged by the progressiveness of the younger generation.
2: Mm-hmm. You know
1: what I mean? So people are like, well, Almer isn't progressive in the form that I recognize progressiveness. Right. Therefore, he must be a non-progressive.
0: Right. Right. Yeah, I see that. I see what you're saying. And yeah, that's, I think, a mistake. I think there is, unfortunately, like, a historical context. And God knows, I'm not saying yeah, that, like, you know... How much does the historical context really figure
1: into things when he's making work for today's audience? Do you know what I mean? At, wh- at what point do we? At what point do we say, "Well, he's old, bless him."
0: Well, I, th- I do think you know? it sounds. Well, <laughs> if you, if you're Graham McMillan, you started about eight to ten years ago, so. Uh...
1: But seriously, like, I, I, is that wrong. Um, I don't know.
0: I mean this is my thing. Is is like I I think that there's just an appropriate level of stages and I sort of feel that part of my problem is, is as a dude who is like 45 or 46 like I'm like I feel like he works a lot harder than a bunch of other people and that what our baseline like the, the baseline do, doesn't manage to mean that you know I wish there were more people who were being more progressive from the baseline we have now sure spending time judging more from today's baseline you know
1: no I completely agree I mean if you look at uh, okay if you look at Scott Snyder mm-hmm. and then you you turn baseline progression from baseline into a numerical value right Scott Snyder maybe what seven and Burr could be thirty right but because Alan Moore started from the Britain of the 1940s,
2: mm-hmm.
1: or 50s, because he's... He's in oh, 50s. I was about to say in my like 40s.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, making him older than he is. Um, that really, you know, I don't know. I just, it feels like he's starting, it's not an even race.
0: Yeah, and well, yeah.
1: It looks, like it looks like Scott Snyder is like, hey, he's, you know, he's only got one rape every...
0: What? I was about to say, and no female characters yet. So yeah, I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. An American vampire. <laughs> Does he have him in American Vampire? Yeah, that's clear. The, the core characters of Owen. Yeah, because I mean, he's got nothing in Batman,
1: like nothing. Oh yeah, Scott Snyder's all about the man. Yeah, he's all about, he's all about my
0: father. <laughs>
1: <laughs> my father told me this.
0: Anyway, let's let's jump to the next question if you don't mind. I think that that's actually a much more surprisingly thorough, quick sketch of an answer than I thought we were going to get to. I think for for both of us. So T, and it's your turn, Jeff. Oh yes. Okay, I asked this earlier, but yes, this is great because T asks about the four or so Stock Bendis characters or voices. We the actually did list Yeah. Also, do you think such a thing as house styles still existed? The big two, either for whole companies, e.g., a Marvel style, or for lines within companies, e.g., the Vertigo style, etc. Yeah, you think so? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And uh, I, you th- think the DC style could be summed up as Jeff mm-hmm. Johns' boringness? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh i am not sure. But Marvel, Marvel might not have a style anymore interesting
0: see this is my other thing is is that I'm like is there like there's a style that is both an art style and a writing style because I almost feel like Marvel has more of a writing style and less of an art style but I could be wrong that on that a writing style yeah I sort of I sort of feel like if you lump everyone in at Marvel and this is a huge generalization and there's do- dozens of examples that probably don't add up. But I would say that people more likely than not are going to try and sound more like Bendis and Baker than not. You know, they're trying to hit in between the sweet spot of those those two goalposts. And I, I could totally be wrong on that. OK, but um, uh, and then but I'm kind of at a loss as to I would be tempted to say that DC actually has uh, art. Art. House style, but I don't know if I would necessarily know what that is. And then writing style, I think that you're right, Jeff Johns. You know.
1: I I think DC's style, and this kind of breaks my heart to because I am at heart a massive DC fan, Mm -hmm. but I think DC's comics right now are exceptionally boring. Mm -hmm. And I feel that that is their style. I feel their style is. To be as close to the biggest names, i.e., Jeff Johns and Jim Lee, as possible, mm-hmm. without having their verve or their interest, and basically being inoffensive comics.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would say that's true. And generally, they break out the they're kind of the they're kind of the family that has the same meal, you know, five nights a week, and then breaks out like once a weekend they'll break out the crazy stuff. Yeah, will be like
1: yeah, and, the cr- and they'll be like okay so we've had macaroni and cheese five nights a week now let's have pizza right exactly yeah
0: you know the the Brian Azzarello uh, Eduardo Rizzo style uh, pizzeria down the street we're getting takeout yeah
1: uh, he then asks uh, oh no wait no he doesn't because he's responding to the sexist thing by, by bringing up Frank Miller's daredevil and since he is being uh, as guilty if not more guilty of racism than sexism Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure I agree. He th- but he then has a third question, or third comment, which is a question Does the abysmal state of Jeff Loeb's writing for the past year show that he's somehow gotten much worse than he used to be, or is it proof that his earlier praise work was overrated and is now due for critical reappraisal? Jeff?
0: Uh, I was going to say that there's, uh, yeah, I, I tend to lump it in toward a combination of A and B. I think that he is actually worse than he used to be. Um, I, I also think that his earlier stuff is also overrated.
1: Yeah, not, not so much. I think if he's working with the right artist, if he's working with Tim Sale, mm-hmm. he writes an entirely different type of comic. Right, and he's not written, he's not drawn with uh, written anything for Tim Sale for the longest time. Yeah, and so we're getting the other type of mm-hmm. Jeff Loeb comic, which has always been this kind of thing. Yeah, it's always been kind of like shallow and pop culture sort of. Like, trying to be bubblegum pop, I guess, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and doing a really bad job of it. And I think that's always been the case. I think it's just that when people talk about his earlier work, they're always talking about the uh, Tim Sale stuff, and not, you know, when he was writing X-Force and Cable.
0: Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I agree with you, but there's that weird – let's put it this way. I would say Tim Sale or Ed McGinnis, where, in which case, the, the poppy stuff actually does pop. You yes. Know? You're yeah. right. So. Hey, I- I I would
1: say uh, going back to the earlier question I think Jeff Loeb is possibly the writer in mainstream comics right now who is saved by his artists more than anyone else.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's actually a good point. But that being said, I also feel, and I could be wrong, that Loeb is busier than he used to be because he's because of all the other stuff that's popping in Hollywood and usually the more he's busy uh, I Horse think the worse he gets, yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think I think
1: it's entirely true.
0: Yeah. And then our final T question, Jeff. <laughs> oh good lord. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Right. Okay. Marvel or DC promises you they will hand over the reins of your all-time favorite character or concept to a certain writer for a guaranteed 100-issue run, and this run will not only be the only place to read about your favorite character or concept, but no one else will be allowed to write said character or concept during this duration. This 100-issue run will have zero editorial edicts, and the writers will accept total free reign over the concept and do whatever they want. Also, if you don't accept this deal, there will be no comics, adaptations, or guest appearances or anything with your favorite character or concept for a 10-year period. Ten-year moratorium. Uh, I mean, it really is an impossible concept, but... So, the the thing is, your choices are Jeff Loeb, Brad Meltzer, Chuck Austin, Mark Miller, or Brian Bendis. Which one do you trust with your most favorite character or concept?
1: Saying this, even though I can't think of what my most favorite character or concept is right now, mm-hmm. um, I am going to choose, of those five, God... Who am I going to choose?
0: I think I'm going to choose Bandus.
2: Hmm.
0: Okay, so I'm. I'm. I, let me make sure I'm following this. The idea is really like I, I. I'm not quite sure if T's telling me like which character do I want to basically render irredeemable, like like just radioactive waste that no one will see for the next hundred issues or ten years, or what book would I so want one of these guys to write. To the exclusion of everything else That we get it Is that what, is that what we're saying? He's
1: basically saying <laughs> Your so favorite dumb. character
0: Will definitely appear
1: mm-hmm. For 100 issues Will definitely exist mm-hmm. For 100 issues And let's face it Will probably be successful With four out of those five creators mm-hmm. um, And so will be visible mm-hmm. But you have to
0: choose From one of these five creators Right uh, i i just i'm i'm there. I'm having this weird like I'm not sure where I'm going with this so you're saying that like
1: it, it's a difficult one because it is pretty much like your favorite character gets fucked who is likely to fuck them less right is is the short version of the, que- of yeah, the question yeah that's kind
0: of what I think is the, the where we're going with the question um jeez okay do you, so so we're supposed to get who do we trust with our most favorite character concept? Yes. See, here's the thing. I'm actually, maybe this is the problem with being old, but I'm actually fine with having my favorite character concepts never year for 10 years. <laughs> pop up again. Yeah, I'm like, the last time Angel and the Ape popped up, it was with that Chicken Tish uh, series. That yeah, was like 10 years ago. Yeah, so it's been a decade already. And frankly, I was like, that really didn't do much for me either. You know what I mean? Like, I was kind of like, I was just as happy as if it had been 20 years. And we would be going back to whatever the previous state was. You're just not joining in. So. I know. I, I'm trying to pick the right term of like a reindeer game. Whereas part of me is like, okay, if I pretend that the, like let's say I pretend that Wolverine is my favorite character and I pair him with Chuck Austin. For 100 issues like, uh, yeah wouldn't that be great like just that, that would just be like that character would be so toxic so um so you would say Bendison do you know who do you are you having to say who your favorite character concept is
1: I hope not because I can't think of anyone offhand. okay I, um, I'd probably go for something Kirby just because that's where my head's at right now but mm-hmm. uh, I couldn't tell you but you know what I'd probably go for Mr. Miracle I'm I'm really pro Mr. Miracle right now oh interesting Interesting. Oh. I, th- I think that's a lovely little concept. I think it, it's all there in those issues.
0: You know, I would be fascinated to see what they. Yeah, God, who would I pick for Mister Miracle though? Out of all, I, those I'd guys. go that bunch. Hmm. Actually, you know what?
1: If it was that bunch and it was Mister Miracle, I'd go for Jeff Loeb as long as he had a good artist.
0: You know, I was thinking the same thing. It was like Loeb or maybe Meltzer.
1: You know, maybe.
2: Oh,
0: Meltz, no.
1: It's worth a shot. I get ten issues of Meltzer being possible. And then you'd have a one-issue interlude, which is like, he's stuck in a box. Yes. For the entire issue, and he's thinking about God. Right. See, and he's having a
0: conversation with his dead mother. Mm-hmm. See, the thing that is great about this list is Brad Meltzer is the only guy that I'm convinced has not written a hundred comics total. You know what I mean? Like, every one of those guys has has been involved in more than 100 comics, easily, hands down, except for Meltzer. Meltzer tops off at maybe 50 issues of a comic book in his entire comic book career, you know? Yeah. So I'd be kind of curious to see what would happen to that guy, particularly because he's never really done more than 10 issues at a go, you mm-hmm. know? Is, how, how many issues of Green Lantern did he do? Uh, I want to say 15, maybe 16, but I could be wrong yeah. on that. Um, Didn't he take over from, like, Kevin Smith and do, like, yeah. issues, like, 11 through... I could have sworn it was, like, two arcs, but maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe it was just one arc. A single
1: story... It was. It was a single storyline, according to Wikipedia.
0: Yeah, so it was, like, just six issues, so it's even smaller. Yes, yeah, so he's probably under 30. Yeah, he's, he's way low, actually. Because he
1: did 12 of Justice League, he did 7 of Infinite Crisis, he had a Final Crisis tie-in. Yeah. So
0: that's 20. Mm-hmm. So you yeah, mean identity crisis? Yeah. So, yeah. So I mean that's stunning. So part of me is like, let's see what ha- he's the only one where I would be like, whatever happened at the end of issue 100, he would be a far different person than he was in those first 30. Yeah, Wh- that's true. W- whereas I feel like actually all the rest of those guys, pretty much, could hack out 100 issues and not change. Yeah, exactly. So, Ben Lippmann. Mm-hmm.
1: What's, what's the deal with people acting like? <laughs> <laughs> turn with rape in his works
0: <laughs> Tee hee uh, Do we actually have to Ignore this part? Because this just sounds like the, Is this Ben Like sticking it to tea? Cause uh, definitely no, I think, think he's actually
1: beard. Trying to ask a question Isn't he just working Within tropes, archetypes Of the genres he works in? Isn't it weird To ignore all the acts Of violence in his works To only focus on sexual violence? Moore is a rep For writing about rape Despite the sex Phils work And is mostly shown As the positive life Affirming experience I have it's to do de- it's not really a
0: question. I well, no, but I, I think that is it perhaps the fan commentators who are in fact fixated on rape? No, they are actually fixated on Alan Moore and rape, I think. Um, and again, there's something going on with Moore, but I do have to agree that there is not any other writer that I can think of that also regularly writes about sex in his work. Yeah, so
1: it, it, it's interesting, it would be interesting if someone else did. To see if Moore really is getting singled out.
0: Yeah, the only one that I can think of would be, like, some dude, like, once Don McGregor went off and was writing Saber for Eclipse or something like that. But I don't really feel like that. It's like Howard Chicken. Yeah, I guess that's true, Howard Chaykin. And frankly, I would say there's probably rapey stuff in Chaykin. I, I'm but, tough. Yeah, at... I feel like ra- well, first of all, I don't think uh, Chaykin does as
1: much rape as murder. Well,
0: uh, it, it, it's more concentrated. More does, I mean, you know, every yeah, <laughs> every every project, something gets a little rapey, whereas like Howard Chaykin is like, well, okay, here's my all rape project. And yeah, then exactly. The rest of it but is that's just it. When he Black Kiss, people are like, what the living fuck? Yeah.
1: And then pretend it doesn't exist. Have you <laughs> heard anyone talk about Black Kiss to after issue
0: one? Uh, me? I, I can bringing it up to you. Too, no, yeah, way. we talked about issue two and then I've tried, I mentioned issue three and then I think I got behind an issue. But uh,
1: you know what I mean? Like, it's almost as if Black has ceased to exist after everyone went, tee hee <laughs>
0: moving on let's pretend that doesn't
1: but it's exist, but it's almost impossible to
0: discuss though in that sense cuz i really feel that everything everything that anyone could say in issue 1 it's not really like you're saying anything different in issue 5 other than holy fuck you know what i mean like there's just nothing other than cuz it is it's everything that you think everything that boggled your mind at issue 1 is there in issue 5 but because it is a creator own comic i think there's less to really ask You know what I mean? Because ultimately the idea of like... Uh, Is that really true because League of Extraordinary Gentlemen's a creator on books? Yeah, but... uh, Us
1: is a creator on book?
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think... And I think if they had, had had first issues that had been like the first issue of Black Kiss number two, volume two, I think you would have like... They wouldn't no one would be discussing them either. You know what I mean? Because ultimately it just feels like that thing exists, you point it out and you go, Holy fucking shit. But I do feel as a creator owned book, you can't you can't say who's this book for because it's apparent who it's for. It's for Howard Chakin. You know what I mean? I don't know what he's trying to say with it or do with it, but it is clear that it has absolutely nothing to do like it's not being published. No one else is paying for the work. Chicken is the guy who's actually paying to put it out there, you know, and whoever's buying it are people who are like strange weirdos who are trying to figure out what the fuck the the deal is or maybe are titillated by it. I was going to say RLs are completely into it. Yeah, which I – which again, I think – if you you, there was that you
1: would hear it's such a specific fetish or or convergence of fetishes it's just her
0: chicken yeah i think so well i i don't even think see because this is it i i honestly feel that chicken is you know this could very well be his necronomicon you know this is him trying to be or neonomicon this is him being like no this is i'm saying all sorts of crazy stuff here Uh, not and and what i'm saying could not be more clear and I think he is actually saying something potentially interesting about art, interestingly. Not not about art, but about how popular culture. I would yeah, think...
1: That, I I, th- I think there's definitely something of that in there, but yeah. I feel that the way he dressed it up made me exceptionally yep. disinterested to read it.
0: Well, yeah, because I think in a way, A, it went there from the get-go, and B, it's... It's just surprisingly pedantic, you know. I mean, it really is like the. I compared it to an Eddie Campbell book, you know, and and now four or five issues in. Yeah, I mean, if you can imagine, you know, from Hell as like a as as basically a stag porno loop, that's kind of what it is, but not that interesting. It's just be, because for whatever reason, because of. The savagery of the satire that I think that Chicken is is going at it's it's just mind-numbingly dull. So,
1: interestingly he called "From Hell" an Eddie Campbell project, because it was written. by <laughs> Mr. Alan Brewer Ben Lippman's second question: What would it take for Jeff to end his financial boycott of Marvel?
0: What steps do I, they need to take to get him back? Yes, you're I you're think like we I think, talked about this last week, didn't we? Did we? Yeah, I think we did. I think we did because someone did yeah someone was like what's it going to take uh, or well or maybe it was just the apple thing where I was laying lining out why I was uncomfortable with Marvel I don't know um basically to to recap uh they have to treat their employees and staff better they actually have to turn call their incentives program a royalties program uh, so that there's an actual um Weight to it so that it's not an optional thing that Marvel can like turn off whenever they design the spigots out there. I'd be incredibly happy if they got rid of Ike Perlmuter. Um, although good you know, luck with that that's it. never going to happen. Yeah. Uh, uh, and then I don't know how I feel about the Kirby thing. Like, I don't know to what extent Kirby needs to really be addressed by Marvel. Like, if that's something that I would need now, God help me to my shame, it was not something I needed for many years. But weirdly, the combination of like I don't know it's weird but I'm like if you're gonna fuck the freelancers and fuck your staff I have a real problem with that I don't understand why it shouldn't be okay for it to be just one like you can get away with one but not the other But, but that's kind of where I'm at weird huh Mm -hmm. Um, This is, uh, oh, wait, okay, so it seems that the inevitable wait-what drinking game, this is from Adam Lipkin, has to have a rule requiring listeners take a drink every time Jeff talks about editing something out and then never actually doing so. So Which you have to do this time, Jeff. I know, like, note, this will be happening, because I can't leave that in. But after the last episode, there needs to be a rule for times when he talks about editing something out and then actually does so, but still tells us something was cut. Is that a slip, a chug? Or some other amount. It is. It, it is. It's, it's a chug, right? It's a chug. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad that you're up on that, ground. Uh da, 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 They appreciate. Uh, and then Adam says nice things, which I would normally repeat, but we got a lot of time. Yeah, we got a, of a, of a lot of questions. questions. Okay, not enough time, but thank you, Adam. Yes.
1: Me, if I would replace Jeff with another host from the world of comics, writer to artist editors, who would I replace him with, and why? Wow. Uh, the honest answer is I wouldn't. If,
0: yeah, if not doing what, I wouldn't do it well well that's very sweet I feel the same how about this though Graham because I was thinking about this question and I realize the way that they framed it is a way that I don't think either of our egos necessarily work but here's the thing if you had to replace you with another host from the world of comics to do wait what with, with me who would it be because that, uh, that I think you could answer, oh, God, you could answer. Who would
1: it, be? it can be anyone from the world of comics yeah Jeff Parker.
0: only oh, interesting.
1: Really? Yeah. Awesome. I would uh, love to hear you and Jeff Parker just go at it for hours. I would listen to that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it would be the greatest podcast.
0: Interesting. I thought that it would be really interesting to replace me for a year with either, and it's funny, I went right to podcaster types, so I was like, it'd be interesting to put you here with like Douglas Wolk. Uh, or David Brothers. Um, or David maybe, and I, David and I, just wouldn't talk about comics. We just talk about music the entire time. Well, and I think that might
2: work. Sorry, I, I, you
0: and might the same thing. Yeah. See, so that's what I'm saying I'm thinking. I'm thinking there's there that would be kind of an interesting. I hadn't really thought about a pro who I put you in here, but uh, maybe you and Gail Simone. That would be great. And <laughs> together, and is,
2: is
1: there a reason for that?
0: No no not really no I just okay. sorry i mean just sort of like I, I think gail is um opinionated and candid and i think actually you could get the best out of her um and so what people would end up with would be something that could really end up showing a lot of light on the industry um in a brand new way but i also think would be anchored by your common sense <laughs> and and discretion i suppose so uh,
1: we we have to stop this whole that sounds like conflict. <laughs> um if we had to stick on a third person in this podcast, who do you think would fit the rhythms of
0: the podcast? Yeah, I'm really I'm I'm always a little hand-wringy about that. I don't know. Who do you think? I'm... Yes? Uh oh. Graham just went dead. Graham, did you accidentally I'm hit b- mute? I'm back. <laughs> did you did you hit mute? What happened there? I did hit mute. Okay.
1: <laughs> I, th- there might have been sneezing.
0: Oh okay. Excellent.
1: Okay. Um I what I was what I was going to say.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh I don't I think if anyone else joined the podcast it wouldn't be there wouldn't be the rhythms of this podcast. Yeah, exactly. It becomes something else. Yeah. Um I would I would be very curious if we had Who would I want? I was gonna say David Brothers. Mm. But then I was thinking maybe Lauren. Maybe Lauren Davis.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, it, it would be interesting but tough because on the one hand, Lauren is so phenomenal, I mean, just as a person and just so on top of things and so sharp. But it would be interesting if, because the amount of regular Big Two comics that she reads is relatively slight, if we would then end up being like, we would almost end up never end up talking Big Two books. You know what I mean?
1: Which is kind of Yeah, that's why I'd be curious about it. But also, would we then, like, we'd have to change the way we talk about them when we talked about them as well, and would that impact the way we read them?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think think it's a good question. I don't know. It's still something that I'm trying to figure out. I'm very, very happy that Graham's continuing to do it with me, uh, and that people are still listening, so let's keep it at that.
1: Yes, I'm happy that, that people are still listening. I, I don't know how to take the you're happy. We're, I'm still doing it with you. At no point have I tried to drop out.
0: <laughs> oh, that's what you think, Graham. This is just like the oh, other God, thing are, you couldn't you remember earlier. <laughs> <laughs>
2: no. uh, okay. Let's see.
0: Uh, yeah, is, is this me t- my turn to read or your turn yes. to read? If you were given free reign of What If, and this is from also from Gary, what would be the titles of your three fir- first three What Ifs?
1: Oh, I have... No idea. Um, for free reign, what if what if Steve Gerber hadn't been
0: forced off Howard the Duck? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, what, if, what would I do?
0: Uh, what if Marvel was a humane and rational company?
1: <laughs> I have no idea. I really don't know. I kind of I there's not a, a
0: a sort of like messed up. Yeah, I kinda of wish there was kind of a, a couple of do you remember your three favorite what ifs? Let's go there.
1: No, I don't. Not at all. I, well, my favorite is the uh what if the Marvel bullpen became the Fantastic Four. Oh yeah, that's kind of an amazing one. Um, and I re- I was a fan of the first one as well, the What If Spider-Man Joined the Fantastic Four.
0: Yeah, I thought that was actually pretty decent too. I mean, that kind of like... I do sort of dig what really colossal fucking downers those first couple of what-ifs were. Like, they were like...
1: That, that was the best part of the series, because it, it would always be like, and then everything went to shit. Right. Because you were like, well, I got to see this alternative, but what we have left is so much better.
0: Right, exactly. So it was always so, like you were glad that for what came to pass, because when it ended up... Uh, passing on the alternate world Was basically Captain America getting killed and buried So Time in and time out um, So yeah, I don't, you know I think it's really a shame, I think if I had sat down And had done my research I probably could come up with a couple of like What ifs that I think would be like real wowzers. But no, I don't What if you could show superheroes pooping, I think <laughs> Also if you were given Free reign of worlds, What would be your first three genre mash-em-ups? Genre mash I don't know. I'd, uh, if I was given free
1: Elseworld reign, I would do the Newsboy Legion of Superheroes.
2: Mm,
0: that's great, Graham. The Newsboy Legion of Superheroes is fantastic. Well, and I've had an Elseworld that I've wanted to do forever. Uh, in a perfect world with Steve Rude Art, which is... Uh, it, it, it. And it's basically a what-if story, which is essentially what if... Uh, Bruce Wayne adopted Scott Free and made him Robin the Boy Wonder. That's great. Wouldn't that be fun? I, that was one where I'm like, yeah, and you get Batman, you get the new gods, and you also get that great panel joke of, like, supervillain after supervillain tying up Robin going, nah, step no closer, Batman or son of a bitch. Where did the fuck? Where did he go? You know, that would be great. It'd be worth it just to have a page of that, I think. That would be really funny. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, also, it would be spectacular because you know, Batman would get um, Mother Box. Oh, yeah. And every single episode would do the. Because in rereading all the Mr. Miracles, I realized after a while he stopped caring. Mm-hmm. And so you get these, these spectacular openings, and then with two pages left to go, like Mr. Miracle would just walk out of a death trap and be like, using my advanced technology totally, in totally. my Mother Box. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't even say advanced technology Like there's a phrase he uses after a while to say, Yeah, it's, it's like the like, wiring
0: you know, or the circuitry Or something yeah, like that Yeah, it's mm-hmm.
1: something like my, my cathode ray circuitry yeah. Like something such really old-fashioned now yeah. it's, it's like in the initial Iron Man's Where he's like, I'm using transistors
0: Yes, I love that stuff Isn't that great? There is something that's so early on Where it's like, Stan Lee so seized on that And it's like oh, But that's...
1: you know what's great? It's Stan as Warren Ellis back in the 60s Do you know what I mean? Because Warren Ellis is like Bluetooth technology! <laughs> Same thing.
0: <laughs> so true. So true. Um,
1: Tim Riffenberg. Yes. I was curious if you guys specifically use a pool list for certain books or do most of your buying off the rack. Would you be buying less books if you did not have a pool list? Jeff. Um, yep, cool, that's
0: right. I do have a pull list. Is not a lot of titles, but definitely I would, I've gone through periods where I would be buying less books if I did not have a pull list. Part of that unfortunately is my memory is fucking bad. Like I got <laughs> back from the store yesterday and realized I still forgot to ask about Stumptown Issue 4, which is not on my pull list, and the House of Fun one shot. And those are both books that I wrote down and then did not bring the list with me. So...
1: <laughs> uh, I also have a pull list and I I don't think it'd really make any difference to be honest. My yeah. pool, I tend to keep my pull list fairly short mm-hmm. and to things that I know I really want. Yeah. And but I'll buy off the rack for things that that day I'm like, "Oh, I heard like, good things about this or that looks interesting." So I don't think it would make a significant difference. Yeah. I do like having a pull list though.
0: I do too. I do too. I think that it's kind of it's a good thing, especially if you can keep it kind of small. I think I've had longer, bigger pull lists, and there's something where it's like, if you if you've got a pull list and you're walking back and you're kind of not able to read all of your books like in the first 24 hours, I think your pull list is too big, and you should think about trimming it back. Because what happens to me is then I get I basically get into those situations where I'm like, huh. I've bought 15 issues of this book and I haven't read it and I'm clearly not going to because I keep putting it off and what am I going to do with these issues? I'm an idiot. Yeah. So. Um, Matthew Murray, in light of recent news, what are some lost gems of vertigo? What uncollected series should we be searching back issues bins for? Milligan
1: and Frigredo's girl.
0: Uh, hello, I'm afraid you mean Milligan and Fregredo's The Enigma.
1: That's collected
0: It's It's not not collected No it's not in print But Yeah but that doesn't matter That you still have to Hunt a back issue bin To get the trade
1: Anything they did Um, Face Their face one show Was spectacular Yeah Um, Actually Milligan Was just on fire For a while The the Mm -hmm. Vertical issues of Shade like right. the the, the la, like between issue thirty and issue fifty, are stellar stuff.
0: That's what you're saying. I still have to, I have to hunt those down. In fact, but I mean, just, it's it's. I don't think Milligan. I'm not
1: sure Milligan was ever better.
0: Hmm
1: hmm. Um, what else? What other good virtual stuff was,
0: was? it? He was. And well, Enigma is fucking phenomenal. Oh, and man. Enigma
1: is like one of the forgotten grades of comics.
0: I am shocked that that is not kind of continually in print. I really am. Because oh, I I'm Sorry. not. Well, I guess I don't know. I'm just I'm one of those stages where it's like all you need is one Enigma movie, you know? Because you could get a movie out of the Enigma, I think. Oh, yeah, you definitely could. You know, and and actually, now that I think about it, it'd be a pretty goddamn good. Like it's like fits so well with some of the indie movie stuff. Anyway, then um, I'm trying to think. You know, there was a lot of stuff that was that came out that I thought was kind of. I would have to dig through and find, but I don't. But yeah, there was also I a lot was, of stuff that was kind I of disappointing thought. too, you know. Yeah,
1: like was a lot of the, that was the thing. Uh, I I got the you have to do the top ten vertical books from Newserama, and they're like you have to do it. You have to do it in like an hour or something, like with some impossible <laughs> deadline. Um, and so I wrote it up, and I was like, I'm not going to do the top ten because that implies like a value judgment. i went to do the ten that I think really changed the game for vertical. Oh, so it's like you know Sandman, Hundred Bullets. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fables, My mm-hmm. Lost Man, things like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but part of me in the middle of writing was like, I want to do the 10 worst vertical books.
0: Because Vertigo's be done a lot of shit. So much shit. Yeah, that would be phenomenal. Pretty um, you'd be like, hey, what are the 10 last vertical crime graphic novels?
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> that was a dog of a lie You
0: put those and then you throw the minks on there and you've got yourself a party, ladies and gentlemen.
1: Um, Brock Landers, if you put, could put together a Marvel Now creative team using the Marvel current Marvel talent pool, who would it be in a what book? We did this last week. I thought we did
0: do this last week, yeah.
2: yeah. Um,
1: Brock Landers then asks also coming from the generation who entered comics with the Wolfman Perez Teen Titans and Claremont Burn X Men were the two big books. I had this notion. Have DC horribly mishandled the Teen Titans franchise? Since Wolf and Perez, or was it just a product of its time, and it doesn't have the same conceptual vitality and depth
0: as the X Men? Um, okay, so here's the thing that I think is really interesting, Brock, because I up until a, until a few years ago, I would have totally said uh, that that basically the latter that um, the Teen Titans franchise was a, a product of its time, and it doesn't have any conceptual vitality or depth until jeff johns did shit with it and then i was like okay that is not true like now that being said i don't necessarily think that dc so i think that they actually have managed to mishandle it because i think when jeff johns stepped in and all of a sudden people are like oh my god this is great and i was actually on that ship for at least half of his issues um there was an idea of like oh, right, Teen Titans could basically sort of be the weird inverted flip side of JSA, you know, where Geoff Johns was doing some really great stuff about, well, at least knew that with DC you could play with the idea of legacy and superhero legacies and stepping, using that and basically 9 million other different things where he wanted, you know, Old Alan Moore projects or whatever he was ripping off, he was able to make a book that you know kind of had a little bit of yowza for it. That being said, I feel like I don't, I haven't followed it enough to see if anyone has been able to do it as well since. Uh, And certainly post Wolfman and Perez, I found myself really holding my nose at the variety of stuff that has followed since.
1: So, I I I think the answer is both. Yeah, I I think I don't think it has the the uh, conceptual flexibility of X-Men. Agreed. Anywhere near. No. But I also think that pretty much as soon as Perez was off, it fell apart. Yeah. It fell apart slowly at first, but then it sped up. And I, oh, I, yeah. think, I think even with Johns, who, let's face it, has done the best Teen Titans since, mm-hmm. never came close.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there was a thing to me of Wolfman, Perez, Teen Titans really was, it was exceptionally good because it was... I think, you know, the kind of comic book that you wanted at the time of the time. Really, I don't think it was, you know, and I don't think there was necessarily, yeah. I just feel that, unfortunately, for better or for worse, uh, the X-Men, even though it is, as other people have pointed out, a remarkably fucked up and weird metaphor uh, about prejudice that doesn't really quite seem to make a lot of sense, it is somehow more Bigger and more resonant to people than ever before. And I think I think Teen Titans is a is a much smaller, stranger kind of thing. I don't think it could ever be as big, but it certainly could be less incompetent. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, that's just it. Teen Titans here's the thing. Young Avengers, the way that Gillen and McKelvey are talking about it, hmm Sounds like it's going to be doing what Teen Titans always should have been doing.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Just the notion of just being young and having these powers and what it does to you. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Which I think is what Wolfman and Perez were trying to do in their sort of, you know, awkward, <laughs> <laughs> cat-handed manner at the time. But I, I, I think it really—I think it was really groping towards that.
0: Well, I don't know, you know. I, I mean, on the one hand, I agree with you, but I do have to say that I feel that Wolfman and Perez— had something to prove on Teen Titans, and that made a huge difference. And interestingly enough, and I could be wrong here, it's basically once, you know, their thing is is basically that the Teen Titans are not second-ranked characters. These are all interesting, awesome characters in their own right. And essentially, by the time they managed to prove that for Kid Flash and Wonder Girl and Robin by turning them into Nightwing, you really didn't need to read about them again you know what i mean like i i was like that first 50 issues or, or so uh, are great um and it even introduces the new characters with their new subplots and gives the book new places to go um but pretty much once everyone has gotten their redemption ring it just it's just no fun watching them level up after that i think
1: yeah i th- i think i think that's fair to say as
0: well yeah so uh, speaking of unfair, uh, Gary asks, what comic book by Matt Fraction is most like a waffle cone? And what Matt Fraction comic book is least like a waffle cone? Please elaborate on both. Uh, it depends w- whether you like
1: waffle cones or not, Gary. Do you like waffle cones? Get back to me and then I'll answer that question.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we, listeners, we can really tell which one of the two of us has to deal with people on the internet. Uh <laughs>
1: uh it's no it's actually a large part is because i am i am ambivalent on the wall Mm. oh really interesting yeah mm. Mm. yeah yeah uh and so i i i part of me is like so you're kind of saying which one is sucky and disappointing and which one is not sucky and disappointing uh, sure except like it's like it it? various reasons i guess yeah, yeah. exactly um I don't let's see which my fraction one is most like a waffle cone if I'm going with the sucking and disappointing Thor I thought Thor was a terrific misfire uh, and which one is least like a waffle cone I'm gonna go with five fists of science
0: really interesting yeah. interesting okay um, dare I ask why for which Uh yeah for five fists
1: Fyfus is, is the one that I feel uh, got on stage did his job and got off stage with the least amount of betraying its own premise
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm not sure it's the best thing he's done but I think it's the one that has been the most concise
0: and the most coherent
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: So, yeah. Um, for me, the comic book that is most like a waffle cone uh, by Matt Fraction is Casanova. Um, and that's in a good way. And the com- Matt Fraction comic book that is least like a waffle cone uh, is was, I thought, Defenders, which I thought was a massive pile of bullshit. Did, um, did you the last issue? No. Well, of course not. Oh, and then,
1: and then – and then – if anyone, oh God, there isn't even a free digital code for the last issue, is there? I was going to say people saying s- Jeff a free digital code for Defenders twelve. Never mind, Jeff, you'll <laughs> read it. But it's 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 amazing. Yeah. And then and then I keep making that joke, which you don't get. I know. I'm like because you mentioned that Reddit, before. I'm like mm. yeah. People have read are like oh I know what you're talking about. Oh I know. Guy <laughs> yeah, asks where should we as comic readers be hoping Karen Berger lands. At an existing mid major like IDW or Dark Horse, at an existing art ho- house, Top Shelf Koyama, or at a major publishing house, Random House Penguin? Or do we want want her launching a startup?
0: We did this last week as well, didn't we? Yeah, we did. Although, do you remember what we concluded?
1: I think. Uh, was... I wanted her at a publisher, at a, a mainstream book publisher.
0: Oh, right. And I did not. I was actually hoping more of an existing mid major. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Legendary, didn't you? Uh, I I was kind of curious if she might end up in legendary. No, I think what happened was I kind of made a thing of like if Skybound actually wanted to be. Well,
1: that's right. Yeah, there was Robert Kirkman because you're evil.
0: I'm not necessarily evil. I, I there's a certain amount of pragmatism. The thing is, is like, I, and as I admitted at the time, Skybound not really interested in building the next Vertigo, but it should be, you know, because honestly, anyone who builds the next Vertigo. Even with the existing Vertigo contracts, which now look like fucking solid, solid gold tickets from Willy Wonka, um, should still be able to make their nut back um, pretty easily, uh, I think. Well, I don't know about easily, but if you've got the money at the stake, you will continue to, to see the result dividends for that for, for decades, I think. So, Okay. Uh, Moose and Squirrel I think we can skip over seems to be talking about um, Alan Moore and sexual violence again <laughs>
1: hey Jeff yes I was going to say the last question then I realized we've got less than 10 minutes
0: holy shit well yeah
1: we probably want to do your list Jeff do your oh, list. okay.
0: well you know we could go a little bit longer I can talk for another 15-20 minutes but I'm not sure if that's going to get us through the next 27 questions it, it, it won't Jeff. <laughs> we could do it we could do it what are we going to do are we just going to go back and do the rest of these at the new year Yeah, why not? Okay. Well, I'm sorry, everyone. This is going to be like a super We told everyone we were
1: going to answer. You know, it's our own fault, Jeff.
0: Yeah, I know. Well, it is our own fault, particularly because we answered four questions in the first half hour. So, okay. So what I did with my – this is good because at least then I can talk about things a little bit more in depth. But I really was – unprepared to do a best of list this year and this is one of the things i'm super grateful for the podcast because i was able to go back and go through my show notes this list is a far from comprehensive and be like super like this may be one of the better years for comics in that a lot of the other lists that i've seen and heard and read there's so much material coming out from so many different venues and of so many different types that It really, I think, says a lot of good things about, like, I don't necessarily know if the comic marketplace is in a great spot, but the comics as a medium, Mm -hmm. I really feel is in an amazing, amazing spot this year. There seems to be, you know, and it, it really does manage to be an overflowing cup. Like I was, at first I wasn't going to do a list at all because I realized that everyone seemed to be listing books that I hadn't even heard of. And then <laughs> notice that a lot of people were talking about they had kind of the similar feeling. Like there's so much going on that we don't necessarily know. So all of that said, the stuff that I included on this list, pretty sh- uh, I, I should have broken it up into sub lists. But, you know, by since so many of them are in different venues. But at the top of my list, the first thing I did want to mention was the seventh volume of Empowered by Adam Warren, which I felt did not get a lot of love this year it's a it's it would be almost impossible in a way to recommend it because it is a standalone volume that's not a standalone like it wouldn't really make much sense to you if you haven't read the first six volumes of empowered but the thing that's amazing that it does it's more stand alone than the other six volumes and it has amazing the fight scenes in empowered volume seven are masterpieces in comic book pacing. I am not even joking. There are pages in volume seven where Adam Warren mixes with the tempo and the way your eye reads on the page. Particularly, he plays a lot with um, with uh, vertical spacing in a way that really blew my mind. Like sub- substantial, and because it's action stuff, just like incredibly violent, vicious. Um, almost unnerving levels of violence in the book. And in fact, the book itself seems like it's going to be the darkest volume out of all the volumes. Um, I feel like if there's a problem with Adam Warren, really it's that he's almost like Gail Simone and other people, a few other creators who basically are so good at doing light work that they really, really punch up their dark work to the point where it's unsettling and maybe not altogether pleasant to read. But holy shit, empowered Volume 7 has some of the best comic book storytelling I just think I, I have I read this year. Just amazing stuff. So huh, okay that that was. It. Um, Action Comics number nine, I think is worth throwing on this list as an amazing single issue comic and also like an amazing comic from Grant Morrison and like sort of hands down like the most. I don't know, what would you say, ballsy work for higher superhero comic? You know, like that oh, book God, that you yeah. just cannot I, I imagine? Think
1: Action, I think Action Comics in total has actually been really good this year. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, I think it's consistently been putting out at least interesting work yes. in a, an environment that is not promoting interesting work in the slightest. Yes. But I think issue nine is kind of a... I see, I do remember the... How the fuck did he get this in there?
0: Yeah, yeah exactly and it's so it's really it's how did he get it in there which is an accomplishment in and of itself but also as is an issue where the bat really hits the ball like i think that that was a million times more impressive as a manifesto and a creative statement and a defense for why grant morrison does what grant morrison is doing or soon will it soon it will be was doing um than any, or just about anything else that he could have articulated. And I think that's extraordinarily uh, amazing. It's such an anomaly. So uh, that double barrel an amazing anthology that came out this year, digital only, and therefore should be under some of a a weird digital subsection, because I've got a variety of things that appeal to me only on a digital level, or a level that if you want to hunt down, you unfortunately only have to go digitally, but if you have any kind of access to digital comics, uh, Double Barrel is amazing, and I think what's stunning to me is that they keep marking down each issue, so I think most of the issues are 99 cents a pop, isn't that right now? Uh, I maybe not most, maybe the first half. Yeah, at least the first half. Well, there's, I think there's only six issues out, isn't there? Am I wrong? On that? Yeah. i that? not. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm an issue behind, thanks to, ironically enough, the Savage Critics Digital Store. So, um, Pope uh, issue seven is not out. Okay, issue seven. So we're still at issue six. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Pope Pat's by Ethan Reilly. Issue three knocked me out of my uh, uh, on my chair, and in fact, I think I talked about issue two at the beginning of two thousand. 12 because it came out in December of 2011 or something that's a pretty amazing book I think it's just got so much like it's got all the stuff about art comics that art indie art comics have like for better or for worse um but I really feel that it's being put in uh, just a much more impressive service. You still haven't picked it up yet, Graham, or have you? In I, your... s-
1: I still haven't picked it up yet. Okay. I, I, and the worst part is I actually saw it last time I was in the store, and I did not have enough money to get that and everything else I was
0: getting. Yeah, it's tough. It is It is not a cheap cheap book, but it's worth picking up. Um, the the weird, different but similar co-joined twins of Saga and multiple warheads um, – both out this year, both pretty amazing pieces. And like I said, somewhat similar to one another, but part of, um, but nonetheless still managed to be like, I think very different books that I I managed to enjoy in terms of just a weirdly strangely digressive version of the science fiction epic that is so happy to throw the word epic out the window that I Mm -hmm. I just, I, I love them both. So,
1: but I've been really weirdly close in, in subject as well.
0: Yeah, close in subject, close in some ways to tone while somehow managing to be utterly different from one another. So yes. I know there are some people who manage to kind of be like, Whoa, they prefer one so much so that the other seems uh, very pale by comparison. But I, I like them both. They're pretty great. Um, not a comic, but Marvel, The Untold Story by Sean Howe, I thought was kind of an amazing read. Great, Uh, gift list sort of book I think it's ultimately (laughs) wearying it's far from perfect Uh, but the stuff in there that I mainlined like crack was like ultra crack for me
1: did you see the Twin Isabella uh blog post where he was like yeah i was offered to the editor chief of marvel yeah i saw that
0: yeah when he was like and he was like 20 or something and he was like even i knew that something went gone wrong or
1: something yeah exactly uh, when they when they offered that to me i was like this should not be happening
0: <laughs> yeah exactly things have gone wrong um so let me speed through and because i keep waiting to see if you're going to jump in and be like oh that reminds oh, me I, I,
1: I can give you the list that i have drawn up while we were talking Oh, okay.
0: Well, uh, let me finish up my list because it's not done. So I will speed it up from here. Uh, Vertigo's New Dead Wardians I thought was uh, actually a pretty spiffy little read and will be a very fun done-in-one. I think that's with the work by I.N.J. Colbert – and I think Dan Abnett is the one that's writing it. He is. He is yeah. yeah. Uh, the Voyeurs by Gabrielle Bell is a great collection of Gabrielle Bell's work, most of which was available on the web. I like it because I'm a sucker for gossipy tell-all in auto indie comics, but Bell also makes it something more and larger. I have
1: to tell you, I actually tried that down in your recommendation and did not get anything out of it.
0: Really? Didn't like it at all, huh?
1: I th- did no i didn't even not like it i just had an absence of liking
0: interesting well see this is good i'm glad you jumped in as a comparison um so did not like it hmm next time we'll come back in the new year because i actually want to hear more about like maybe what didn't work for you or do you think i oversold it do you think if you come to it on your own
1: uh partially mm-hmm but also, I think that I just wouldn't have gotten a lot out of it in general. Interesting. I, I think it had a um, had an off-putting self-obsession.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that. I can see that. Um, interesting. Well, I, I do think that that uh, is part of what appeals to me in a way. but um, Bandette by Paul Tobin and Colleen Coover three issues of that out and i haven't read the third issue yet but i uh that is that is one gorgeous book and something that only exists i think on because of the digital model so um i'm super grateful that it's out there in the world and i'll be curious to see what happens to it as, as it continues and or it gets collected
1: you what know, the issue three came out yesterday right
0: yeah issue three is out i have i bought it this morning haven't read it so um popeye issue number three by roger langridge and tom neely this i thought of this because it was on sale this last weekend for 99 cents actually all of idw's popeye stuff is i'm really antsy about books being like uh, resurrected especially done up in the style of the original artist kind of like the the peanuts comic that boom's doing but Honestly, when you get results as good as uh, the third issue of Popeye where Roger Langridge writes and then Tom Neely does everything else, pencils, inks, colors, letters, it feels so organic and feels like a great alternate issue of popeye like and it's a it's a down you know downright popeye story that's done with love and appreciation for what cigar did and all of his characters and it's just a phenomenal read and just looks gorgeous oh my god i love that that was like another one of those like single issues that just i adored um the lovely horrible stuff by eddie campbell um I don't think we ever talked about this, but it was such a weird book. It's only $4.99 to read digitally, and it feels to me like the first real digital graphic novel in a way that I'm not sure I can ever really unpack. You know, but little touches in it, the way that that the way that Campbell uses digital artwork in there, like making his hair. Is Eddie Campbell's hair be like an actual photo of bits of his own hair or whatever some patch or something really gives it a weird feel that when you're experiencing at least when I read it digitally on the iPad felt
1: right. So. Yeah it's interesting. So I I don't think we ever did discuss it and I also got it online I, I got it digitally when I think it was $4.99 mm-hmm. um, and I kept leaving it and coming back to it, to it I guess. Mm-hmm some reason i found it easier to read it in chunks as opposed to read it all the way through like i would have if it had been a quote-unquote book Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: uh but i really got a lot out of it i thought it was a really really good book
0: yeah yeah i thought it was quite enjoyable good stuff for campbell but yeah but again this very weird um you know it was for me what apparently the upcoming hobbit movie is for a lot of people so like disquieting and fascinating uh Archie 635, which is the the second of Giselle's two Archie issues, I thought was uh, just incredibly gorgeous. I love her work anyway, and I love Minaj 3, but um, I thought that that was kind of the fun gender-flipping flopping flipping issue of Archie. Although it wasn't a complete success in the story department, um, I did think it made me really feel like there's still some moves left in Archie that, that that I think Archie the company has done a great job managing to make us think, keep us aware, keep Archie on the map. Um, Final Frontier by Tom Scioli, which I read digitally, and American Barbarian, which I read in print when it came out earlier this year. I love both of those equally um, for their crazed Kirby-ishness, but also I feel that Scioli is, I don't know, he's trying to do something that, like I said, kind of harkens back to sort of that uh, post-ironic thing that we were talking about, um, where he kind of doesn't, he doesn't throw his pacing off enough to, to wink at you. He just kind of keeps going. Um, weirdly enough, I realized the collection for King City came out this year. So, even though we read it last year, I think for a lot of people, they may not have encountered it until this year. And I think that that is completely worth um, coming across, if they haven't. And then finally, my... Uh, the End of the Fucking World by Charles Forsman which is, you know, he's self-publishing through Oily Comics that at a dollar an issue is like a weird hand stapled zine that is a completely disquieting um story into darkness I suppose that uh, is completely enthralling. I really had to give appreciation to the Valiant reboot for giving me so many new books to read and just seem to really roll out a reboot correctly and with a lot of care um i have to give thumbs up to crying freeman digital commandy omnibus the second volume just coming out this week which i'm thrilled by that all of kirby's stuff is now in print and i pray to god it gets available made me made, made available digitally shonen jump alpha which is an extraordinary value thousands of comic pages of comics for 25 bucks 2000 ad digital which is uh 25 pages of comics for thousands of bucks um but also <laughs> completely completely worth reading those those have just been I, those are kind of all as many of my comic book highlights as I could jam in there
1: uh I'm going to do this really quickly because we are totally out of time sorry um you no, can go I, a little okay longer. so 2000 yes especially the cold deck I think the cold deck has really mm-hmm. shown off what 2000 can do and what it does do really really well yeah Uh um, I th- totally agree on Valiant, totally agree on Bandette and Lovely Horrible Stuff, and mm-hmm. Double Barrel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Saga as well. mm mm-hmm. uh, And the three you didn't mention that I would put in there, uh, Dustin Harbin's Boxes, mm-hmm. which you, you might remember I was completely in love with and, and very moved by. Yes. Uh, is a mini-comic that he put out that is also available online on his website. hmm The Crackle of the Frost. Mm-hmm. Is the, oh God, I can't remember his name. It's the Matavi. European graphic novel from Fantagraphics from the person I can't remember the name of. And The Now of Brown, which yes. I swooned about openly here. Mm-hmm. Um, still the book of the year for me. It, it's just breathtaking and beautiful and one of those completely transcendent reading experiences.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to picking that up. That's by Glenn Dillon, right? It is indeed. Yeah, okay, I just wanted to mention that. And then Crackle of the Frost is, isn't it Matadi and someone else doing the...
1: Ah, hang on, let me venture across and we'll see if the sound goes weird as it normally does when I do this. It is uh, Lorenzo Matadi and George Zeitner. Ah, yes, okay. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. all of those are were all of those made my year. I agree, though, It's it's been a spectacular year for comics mm-hmm. in terms of comics. In terms of the industry, we're all fucked.
0: Oh yeah, the industry is just a huge fucking mess and seriously, I hope that I hope it gets straightened out soon without Without everything going to hell. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because it is true. I'm not quite sure where Marvel and DC might be at in a year but it could be. Or really if we're not careful, maybe the comic book shops. So... Let's keep our fingers crossed, everyone. I'm that happy (laughs) doing. Indeed. (laughs) Happy holidays to everyone. Uh, Merry Christmas. And uh, I guess we We will talk to you. hope you all have a job next year.
1: Jeff Lester gives you joy for the world. Indeed.
0: Yeah, that's me. Mr. Happy. Uh, Mr. Holiday Happy. Um, So, yeah, I think that's it. We'll talk to you guys in 2013 when we will be answering the rest of these questions into 2014.
1: Yeah, exactly. It might take us all here. Everyone who listens, thank you very much for listening all through this year. Uh, we hope you have spectacular holidays and are happy, healthy, and safe.
0: Absolutely.
1: Ho, 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 <laughs> <laughs> Ho,
0: ho, ho, indeed, Crack. <laughs> oh, that was a great one. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I figured you would approve. bye <laughs>